Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What's happening, weirdos? What a, what a dream come true that uh, Brian Regan, uh, you know this, if you've ever listened to another episode of this podcast, Brian Regan has always been a hero of mine and one of my absolute all-time favorite comedians. And as you're about to hear, just one of my absolute favorite people as well. Make sure to check out his Comedy Central special live this Saturday, September 26th at 9 p.m. You're going to, I mean... <laughs> Is it overstating it to say you're about to fall in love with the guy? He's amazing. He's amazing and hilarious. Let's get to it as quickly as possible. There is no ad. Uh, just a couple tour dates here. Minneapolis is coming up this weekend, uh, followed by Chicago, Toronto, and Utah. That's it. Check out Brian's special. Uh, again, that date is on uh, September 26th at 9 p.m. on Comedy Central Live. And I hope to see you guys in Minneapolis, Chicago, Toronto, or Utah Tickets available at PeteHolmes.com, as well as all the t-shirts that have ever been uh, made, made, mentioned. I almost said mentioned and made at the same time, but made on this show. Werewolves Vote, uh, Eat Light Cobra, You Got Princed, Piano Keys, uh, Pete is My Homeboy. All that stuff is on PeteHolmes.com, as well as tickets to all those tour dates. In the meantime, enjoy Brian Regan. God, one of my favorite episodes uh, ever. I'm going to say ever, so get into it. Please enjoy. Uh, yeah, I sometimes I, I just gave myself the note recently where I was like, when I get interviewed, it's always nice to hear something kind or you know complimentary up top. But I've been doing this for we've almost had three hundred episodes, so it's like at the point now where I'll just be like, so where are you from? Like, like why not just start with like, hello? Oh, I, I'm cool with whatever <laughs> direction you want to take. I don't. Yeah, I'm not gonna have a list where I go. All right, you got the compliment. <laughs> Yeah, but you are you, you're an absolute hero of mine of comedy. You're wonderful, and I'm so thrilled that you're here. I appreciate it. Are what, we, are we yeah, we talking? Can, yeah, now? we'll record now. If you wanted to say something racist, that was your window <laughs> before you knew we were recording. So we're on. Okay, I'm not going to say the racist comment then. <laughs> looking for an R and an L. Um, show you how uh, yeah, good I, I think am it's at, on the inside. at podcasts. No, you're good, man. I mean, it's not really. Right, yeah, there go. you go. Uh, yeah. It's awesome to have you on. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I quote you constantly with, you know, this is how I quote you. It's not like a bit of yours. One time we were upstairs at Zany's. We've been in the proximity of each other a couple times because I've been doing comedy for 15 years. But I was like a little, you know, open micer guy. And I saw you getting interviewed upstairs at Zany's. Oh, wow. And I heard you say something. And it was just so kind of serendipitous or kind of a, what's that word? I guess I could say providential, but I just meant it was nice to overhear this because I've used it my whole life. Oh. Where you said stand-ups are like musicians, but they play the audience. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I remember. I stole that from... No. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, we, I heard somebody else say that. and uh, <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, I to me, it's like I, I feel like... Uh, the audience is this thing mm. that I'm trying to make laugh. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to make this unit. I, first of all, these individuals, I want to make one. I want to make them one thing, and yeah. then I want to play it. I want to make it laugh. Yeah. 
You know, so in a sense, that's how I guess that's what I mean. By and that. that's what I, I, I've thought about this so much and I've thought about it before I do shows and as I'm doing shows, you really that's what makes a heckler so or a drunk bachelorette party so offensive is it's breaking up yes. the unit. Yes. It's not becoming the one. And everybody wants to feel that one. That's the pleasure of being in the audience is you're like, I wasn't Pete. I was this audience. You're right. We I was, made this sound. We had a good show. You know, we had a good time. Yeah. 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 You don't usually hear people going out. Walking out of a comedy show, I had a good time. <laughs> I individually, I was concerned about me yeah. and my enjoyment. Yeah. And so I'm satisfied. It's like when you, when, when you can see in the round a little bit, even if it just curves a little bit and you can see other people laughing, how much better is it? I, oh, yeah. I was watching one of your specials just to kind of get the, uh, get the flavor. Well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what a ridiculous thing to say to another uh, human in a small fine. room. I'll, I'll take anything. I just well, people that listen to this podcast know I don't. I don't watch you anymore. You're absolutely one of my favorites. I very much appreciate it. It's a huge compliment. I don't so thank watch you. you because I will rip you off. <laughs> <laughs> because that's I, I, a lot of people. I tell them, you know, it's like okay for the first five years or whatever to wear your influence. And people always gave me a hard time for for doing you because because oh. of the dumb the the dumb voice. I was like, this guy figured it out. It's not that's not all you do. The observations are brilliant. The writing is is great, but the dumb voice is the most stealable of, uh. of your things. Do you see that a lot? Do you see people doing you? Yeah, but I, <laughs> but you but good because it means you've been to a comedy show <laughs> recently. Well, you know what's interesting is. Um, First of all, I'm I'm flattered by it. I'm you know what I mean. I'm honored by it, and I realize that uh, we're all going to be influenced by people that we see and hear. Yeah. You know how can you not be? You know right. we we didn't we didn't we, we didn't just come out of nothingness and do comedy. We heard other comedians or watched other comedians. Right. But I I've had shows in the past when you know like you go into a comedy club and there'll be like a couple of local comedians and you know sometimes I feel like I'm following me. <laughs> You know, the, guy, the guy's up there crouching around going, yeah. ah, I feel stupid when I do this. And I'm like, oh, no. Buddy, I have video of me. I saw you the Comedy Connection. Uh, remember the Comedy Connection in uh, Boston? Oh, yeah, Excuse yeah, me, I sure. I should have said in Boston. I said, well, there was one in Providence and uh, mm. a couple others. But the one in uh, Faneuil Hall, great room, and I was in the front, and uh, I, was, I was just kind of starting comedy. I remember a couple things about the show. One, the opener was sweating but it was really wow. really uncomfortable to watch this guy i'd seen him do well before uh-huh. i'm not shitting on him and then you went up so it seemed like the crowd was bad you know what i mean when really i think they were really really excited for you mm-hmm. something that i wonder if you experience opening for seinfeld you know sometimes they're like get out of the way yeah, no matter, yeah, yeah. i just did your voice get out of the way <laughs> i shouldn't watch your specials before i do podcasts <laughs> but you know what i'm saying sure yeah do you it's feel like you get that vibe of uh you know as soon as as soon as this guy is done, we can start having fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this guy's in the way. It used to be like um, if you perform in Las Vegas, mm. right? And uh, there's, a, yeah, there's a number of comedy clubs in Las Vegas. I don't perform there any, anymore because I, I live in Las Vegas. But it used to be you'd be on stage and you'd look out and you could see a couple, like an older couple, and the wife is enjoying it and the guy is looking at you like, as soon as you shut up, yeah, I can go out into this casino, yeah. and enjoy myself. You know, this is kind of a this is a weird podcast. We try and get into weird areas, so for, feel free to duck or avoid or just say that that doesn't resonate with me. But there's something about the 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 alpha of the comedian. 
I feel like women are more into it. Like a, a lot of the time, they're more willing to be manipulated, mm. and that is what's happening. Is somebody's going inside your brain, and Stephen Wright talks about painting little pictures in the brain, and so you're creating space in right, your brain. Right, right, huh? And it's not just women; it's open-hearted men as well. I just think women tend to be more gracious and more open. Not always, right? And then you see a lot of like bro guys that are more. That's those are the hecklers. Those are the like get, get intimidated. Your, get your hands off my woman, sort of. Right, right, right. The genius guy goes, please make make us laugh. Like get us both into that space. But the guy that just wants to gamble probably is a little bit upset that you're doing this alpha thing, you know. And the, and they're insecure. You right. know what I mean? That you have to have an insecurity to feel like you're going to lose. You're going to lose losing. this woman next yeah, to you yeah. because of some guy on stage. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But uh, yeah, but like you say, you know, most guys are cool, but then you're going to have that uh, percentage of guys that don't quite get it. The, the the thing I remember most about being on stage, where like I was, I don't. Nobody likes a heckler, but at least a heckler's taking you on. <laughs> the thing, you know what I mean? At least a heckler's paying attention and saying, yeah. I don't like anything you're saying. It's like, <laughs> okay, well, you're listening to what I'm saying. So I, at least I got that. What I can't stand is a, a guy who puts his back to you. Oh, man. And I remember being on, on stage at the Improv in Irvine. Yep. And there was uh, a table, two over on the right, and a guy came up and was trying to hit on a woman. <sighs> You know, sitting at the table, and he came and pulled a chair up and turned his back to me. Talk about alpha moves, you know uh, what I mean? He's like, I want woman. I, I, I That's couldn't, annoying. I, I couldn't let it go. I mean, I, you know. That, Did you, that's you make fun of him? I think I got angry. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like uh, the, the, the the lighthearted humor part went yeah. away, yeah. and it's like, mate, you're just going to ignore me like I don't exist? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah, kind of pre-YouTube snap. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't have to worry, you know, now, you know, oh, I guess somebody's probably filming this. I better be gentle. But I did a pre YouTube snap. I wonder, I wonder how many times my career would be over if yeah, there, people had yeah. cell phone cameras. I've said the years same ago. thing. Would Jesus have made it? Would he have become as big <laughs> if we had every tweet of his? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's funny. There's no more profits. We have your YouTube comments. Yeah. It's funny. I was in Irvine. I had a bit of a snap too because I was doing my first joke. And this is going to lead to a question. It's not just an anecdote. <laughs> I did my first joke. I talk about how I wear a Lululemon jacket. And the joke is that I think women like it because it says relax. Like <laughs> a guy in a Lululemon isn't a dangerous guy. It's just a little silly thing about my clothing. Mm -hmm. And I said, I like a, a jacket. I think it sends a message to women. And this girl goes, ugh, you're gay? Uh -huh, like that? Yeah, yeah. But it was the... Even the both parts are offensive. I look at ugh as part one. Yes. Like it's disgusting that you're gay and you must be gay because you're wearing yoga wear. Like so I literally kind of whited out and was like I don't I'm not an angry. I think we're similar in that way. Mm -hmm. We like to it's an effort. We keep ourselves in the in the light or we try to. And especially our comedy works better. If you're in a light place. Right, right. right. I have lines in my act. So I I leaned into this woman just kind of, it wasn't even funny. I was just like, "How dare you? You're, 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 you're ignorant." And people weren't even clapping. They were just kind of like, well, "No, I liked what she said." <laughs> it was a bunch of like privileged women, forty-year-olds, and jazzy night-out jackets and white wine, uh -huh. and then like ignorant teenagers. And it was one of the ignorant teenagers that yelled that. And I just was kind of like, "It's 2015." Like, I just stated facts. I was like, "There's nothing gross about being gay." 
please shut up, or I don't even know what I said. And then, uh, then I had to do my act. And this is my question for you. If you do have a pre-YouTube snap, I have lines in my act where I say, like, I, pre- I go, uh, you could get angry, and then I get angry, and then I go, I don't know how to be angry. Like, it's a little mm-hmm. commentary on how I'm a happy guy. It doesn't work if you open with <laughs> yelling at a woman. You know what I mean? So I'm doing my act, and I literally have setups like, joy is hiding everywhere. You yelled at a woman. Like, it like, didn't work as well. Uh, no, Do you feel it, that? Absolutely. I mean, you have comedians. Uh, uh, There's so many different comedy styles, and then you have, like, your aggressive types that yeah. are, you know, uh, commenting on the world in an aggressive kind of way. And it's very, it's much easier for them to go after an audience member, put them in place, and then get back because the tone isn't that much different. Right. Their right. comedy from, from putting somebody down. Right. But if you're a nice guy oriented, it's very disarming and can basically derail an entire show. Right. You know, I can't go, hey, buddy, w- w- quit with the back to me, okay, pal? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to do my show. Yeah. And then beat donuts have yeah. sprinkles. <laughs> Isn't it weird that the sprinkles are over on the side of the donut? You know, it's just dead. You know, there, there's, no, there's no recovering. From anger. That's so funny. Yeah, it, your persona doesn't work any longer. Correct. Correct. I enjoy having a bubbly light persona. My, I, I get a compliment. This again. This is going back to you. <laughs> I, not that you're concerned. Uh, I'm, I'm honored. I, 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 I like people give me compliments, and I really get the types of compliments I get after shows. I really get the feeling that what they're enjoying is that I was on stage being who they wanted me to be and who they expected me to be mm-hmm. for an hour. They enjoy the material. They love the laughter. But there's something else, and that goes on with you too, uh, where you're like, he's being who we want him to be. We're spending this time with him, and he's not betraying this idea that we have mm-hmm. of Brian, our friend, our parasocial friend. We know him. He doesn't know us. Friend. And you're not coming out and being like, what's up, cocksuckers? You know, like that would – everyone would be like, hey. hey. But not just language, attitude, uh, anger, frustration. How do you feel – like you told that great story. I believe it was on uh, Mark Maron's podcast about drinking tequila after a show and then a fan comes up and yeah. you felt like you couldn't have another right, right, right. drink sort of thing. Is that is that something you think about? Do, well, did what, you make room for that dimension in you your know, life? What's weird is when when you do a kind of comedy that – some people label clean, okay? I mean, it is, but that's not what I'm – I'm not thinking about that. You yeah. know, I'm just uh, – it's just a different style of doing comedy. You know, it's like I like all kinds of comedy. Um, I like I like people who are rough around the edges. I don't mind four-letter words. I don't mind sex jokes. I, I, I Everything is valid, but so is, you know, observational, lighthearted stuff. I think that's valid too. Right. But I think sometimes people make the mistake of assuming incorrectly that this is a mission statement. You know what I mean? Like you're trying to show the world a loftier way. And yeah. it's like, I don't think this is any better right. than that. Right, right, it's right. different. That's all. Right, right, right. You know, that's not like a jazz musician finishing his set and going, that was better than rock and roll. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> 
No you know, encore. Yeah, it was like, well, why, why do you got to slam rock and roll? We like your jazz, but, you know. So that's what I feel that people think clean comedy is somebody right. coming, riding in on a big white horse, going, I'm here to make a point. You know, and, and some people go so far as to think that off stage, I must be, you know, yeah. if I'm not on stage, I'm in church yeah, 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 praying, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know, and it's like, well, no, I yeah, like to yeah. have a couple of cocktails and. You know, if I'm on a golf course and I hook a, a shot, yeah. I'm going to say some words yeah, that yeah, yeah. don't make it into my act. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of a it's a weird it's a weird thing doing the clean thing because it's just way way too focused on by many people. I understand. It's because jazz fans put the moral value on. They go, Brian is. Good, you know some of them. Mm-hmm. Certainly not. All. I'm a huge jazz fan. Oh, no, <laughs> you're <me> jazz. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. But the jazz fan attracts, uh, say, the Mormons, or or you know, these right. are crowds that I enjoy as well. Right, right. You know, back in the day, I say, I say more swear words now, so I have to do old material if I go to Utah. <laughs> but you know, it's it, then you then people. I completely understand what you're saying. What was I going to say? I had a great one for you. You're talking about swearing and the persona and fuck my dick. Drinking. Drinking. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. Personas. I think there's something very interesting. One of the things that the artist does is showcases a different side of who you are in a different time. That's your piece of art. So you're showing goofy, silly, childlike, not childish, but childlike, Mm -hmm. fun, wonder. I love that bit you have about, uh, I don't want to yell at my son or or maybe your daughter to be like, stop having joy, you know, like, get serious. Like, Uh that's kind of what you're doing. So this it's this invitational. And obviously, that's not who you are all the time. Just like, this is always my example, Eminem isn't always like a violent, crazy misogynist. But we like people that become the archetypes, the... Mm. uh, that's not the word. The avatars. They mm. go like, oh, there's there's Brian doing the Brian thing, and there's the villain doing the villain thing. When I think we can agree everybody is everything. Yes. Yes. And, and I think the onstage part, you know, I try to be careful to make sure that it is me, but it's a part of me. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, it, it, if, if it weren't me at all, then it just feels false and it, it's, it's not going to work. You know, so that is part of me, but there are parts that I sh- – decide not to share on stage i can get angry and i can get rude and i can get crude and that sort of thing but um yeah so i find you know the more i i started as a big seinfeld uh and you guy and uh and and cosby too it's sad that we can't like really Mm. say cosby i'm not even trying to get into that but i had albums on my wall it was steve martin it was brian regan live and it it was a cosby album i have a cosby album in my living room that i just i forgot you know, I have these comedy albums yeah, up, and, yeah. and Cosby is the one that is at the forefront in my living room. Yeah. and I, It's a tough one. You know, like when you see something so much, you forget that it's there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then I have guests over, and yeah. they're like, what the hell has he got a Cosby? You have to slyly take it down. <laughs> yeah, I got, I'm going to have to pull it out. Was and, that breaking glass? <laughs> put something else up there. Anyway, I interrupted you. No, no, I, that's what I would like you to do. I love tangents and stuff. Uh, <laughs> But I noticed that uh, I grew up religious, and that's what drew me to doing clean comedy. So mm. I was putting the moral judgment on it. I was going, this is better than rock and roll. <laughs> and then, uh, long story short, I kind of like lost my traditional faith, and then I was like kind of started doing more. Uh, my go-to is Bill Burr, like these guys that go up and share their soul. Marin is another one of those yep. soul-sharing guys. Demons, like I jerked off on an airplane, and people are like, ah. And I started really getting off on 
it's kind of weird to say, but I noticed that I enjoyed this podcast, for example, sharing my innermost secrets and having it and having strangers instead of my idea of, a, of, of Jesus or God going, you're okay. Now I go to strangers and they go, you're okay, even though you did that. Do you, it's not that I'm saying, or do you miss it, but you don't really crave that? No, it's a very interesting question because I think that um, clearly a lot of comedy from today is much more um, autobiographical mm-hmm. and truthful where people are sharing how they truly feel about things. And like I said earlier, I love all kinds of comedy, and I think that that's great that comedy goes through different periods where people are exploring different things. The thing that I think is weird, though, is when, say, someone likes that kind of comedy and thinks, well, all comedy should be like that. (laughs) That's where I think the line is too far. Right. I do like a different kind of comedy. I mean, you look at a Stephen Wright or a, you know, Mitch Hedberg. Mm. You know, Mitch Hedberg wasn't up there sharing his soul. He just had these very interesting, peculiar yeah. ways of and, looking at things. And, and through and, that, you felt you knew his soul. Yeah, but, but, but you're looking at him through the prism that he wants to, to show you how he looks at things. Yeah. You know, he's not up there talking about, you know, something... His bowel movement. Exactly. Yeah. But but it's still very, very interesting, the, the concepts that he would get into. So I like to think that comedy, you know, you can talk about a bottle of water yeah. and, 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 and be very funny and interesting about it. And that can be just as good of a type of comedy as somebody talking about, you know, right. their sex life. Right, you right, know right. what I mean? Uh, it, it's all good. It's just different. You don't get the mirror held up to your inner demons, though. Uh, do you do it off stage? I'm not trying to out you, by the way. Listen, Brian Regan is a <laughs> filthy man. I'm just saying I get – we all get something out of stand-up. And then there are little moments where – Let's say you yell at that guy with his back to you, mm-hmm. and the crowd goes nuts, and they love it. That feels good. They saw something undesirable in you, and yet they endorsed it. And I wonder, if you don't do it on stage, do you find yourself doing it with your friends, just kind of craving that sort of like, some? well, I had a dream where I punched the Pope, or whatever it is, and, and people are like, ah, oh, it's okay, Brian. Well, I used to do this bit about um, you know, feeling awkward when you are quiet off stage and people you know they know you're a comedian so they think you're supposed to be the life of the party and uh i i used to hate and i still do when people go well you're awfully quiet yeah you're awfully quiet brian Jeez, louise you know and so the bit was what do you say after that roll out the barrel <laughs> you know what i mean i like i was supposed to kick into uh you know crank it up to 10 and be Mr. Goofball for you for you know who would like that guy? Yeah, you know it's like well yeah I can be quiet that's part of me you know I, what know. I mean and 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 it's very uncomfortable I think I'm I don't know I guess I'd have to talk to a bunch of different comedians I'm very very uncomfortable telling people I'm a comedian mm-hmm. unless they've seen me. What's your go-to fake profession? Enterprise rent a car. What are you in town for? Uh, you know. <laughs> My brother Dennis and I were golfing one time, and the night, the, the day before, we had joked about this, saying, you know, what's a good thing? And um, Gary Valentine. Yeah, I know Gary. I think had told us, playful, that he tells people he paints houses. Oh. And so I was telling Dennis this, and we were <laughs> laughing. We go out on the golf course, and it's just him and me, and they hook us up with another twosome. And the guy go, and the, one of the other guy, guys goes, uh, what do you two do? And Dennis goes, we're house painters. And I'm like, oh, no. Now we got to ride this lie for five hours. 
<laughs> what kind of houses do you paint them? It's like lie upon lie upon lie, you know? Oh, any kind of house. What kind of paint do you use? Well, you know, whatever, you know, water-based, oil, loose sight, you know, and it's like I'm going, Dennis, let's tell them we're comedians. It's less awkward. <laughs> I just was in, uh, where were we? Uh, coming home from the airport. No, we were in, it doesn't matter. I don't want to shit on a town because this guy does not represent the town. But this was just three days ago. I told the cab driver, uh, no, I didn't tell him. That's what it was. Sorry. I was at a wedding, another comedian's wedding. He called me an Uber. He's famous. I got in the car. He goes, he's famous too, right? And he's like, he's a comedian. He's famous. So then I listened to him tell homophobic after homophobic yeah. after massage. And I'm telling you. I'm 36 years old. I'm trying to be better with boundaries. I'm trying to be real. I'm not laughing. Mm-hmm. He tells me the joke, and I'm just like, yeah, man, it's always a joke like that. Like, comedians don't really tell jokes like that. Like, I don't really like jokes like that, you know? And then he's like, okay, silence for like 30 seconds. He's like, these two fags. I'm yeah, like, come on, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah. I don't even like saying that word, but you understand. No, that's what right. That's somebody else. And then they put you in the awkward position of, do I have to make a social comment yeah. here? Do I have to put Will him in his place? Go? Do you let it go? And I just gave yeah. him nothing. He was bombing and he didn't seem to mind. <laughs> he kept going with the set list. I had a guy next to me on a flight. Um, he worked for Snapple. Mm. And he was a manager for Snapple. So, and he's telling me about being a manager for Snapple. So I'm, I'm like, I, I know he's going to ask me. You know, it's a long flight. He's, he can't just be talking about him being a manager at Snapple yeah. for four hours. At yeah. some point, he's going to go, how about you? Yeah. So I'm just getting ready for it, you know. I, I, and I keep trying to get the headphones on. And another thing about me being a manager at Snapple. <laughs> And so I can't, I can't get my defense mechanism on my head. And uh, he goes, "So uh, what do you do?" And I'm like, "Oh, here we go." You know, and, and yeah. I usually don't lie because I just I, it's you can say, hard. I'd rather just yeah, tell the truth. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So Easy. I said, um, I said, uh, "Well, I'm a stand-up comedian," and he said, "I could do that." That was his response, I, th- th- like right off the bat. You know, and I find that so. You know, I, I don't. It, it isn't like I, I think I'm better than you because I'm a stand-up. But how dare you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I've worked for how many yeah. bars and nightclubs yeah. and things have I had to work myself right. through right. to be able to call myself this? And I just told you, and now you and I are equal. <laughs> oh, I could do that. Oh, and I and I and I, and I said, oh, okay. You know, like. Uh, and he goes, oh, you don't think I could? I'm like, <laughs> I oh my god, I don't know, Mr. Snapple. Oh my god, Snapple manager. The fun fact under his cap is I'm an asshole. <laughs> it says, you know, I I, I could be a, a manager at Snapple. <laughs> at the same wedding, the one I was just talking about, someone uh, drunkenly, a non-comedian. I used to use the term civilian, but. <laughs> People don't like that. It's too. It's too disparaging. But a non-comedian would come up. Uh, came up to w- this other comedian I was with, and he was drunk, and he put his arm around him and goes, "Who do you work for?" Like he wanted him to admit that you know, like you don't just work for yourself. You know what I mean? Oh. And he was like, "No, you know, I, I tell jokes. I go up in bars. I book little shows. I get the door. Who do you really work for?" <laughs> and it was just like. Well, it goes back to the guy being threatened in Vegas. I know mm. I put that on him. You didn't include that. I'm putting that on that no. imaginary person. <laughs> but, you know, like, why so much threatened to be like, I could do that? Why, why say that? 
Yeah, and it's like, you know, I, I respect what you do. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like I, I there are jobs out there I know I couldn't do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we all do our thing. This just happens to be my thing. Right. I, I never, I never ever claimed I was a better human being right. than you. So I, You're the one doing that in your own mind. Right, 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 right. You've created a fake You created something that, that you need to knock down. Yeah. You know? Seinfeld says, it, it's so funny, he did this. I wonder if you heard it. It was called On Comedy. It was back when podcasts came out on CDs. <laughs> like oh, it was just a series wow. <laughs> of interviews. It really was. And uh, he said this really arrogant but really fun thing where he was like, if you think you can be a comedian and you don't become one, I don't believe you. <laughs> like That was his thing. He was like, I just don't believe you. I just don't think you really think you could do it. Because if you could, you would. Again, very arrogant. But it's kind of like I feel similar. Like such a, it's, Can't we – let's take a moment to just appreciate it. It's a good – life right oh yeah yeah i mean I, and i've enjoyed it um even at the beginning you know yeah. when things were you know your your cars are breaking down out on, on the road and you know it's like mm. it, it's not easy mm-hmm. but you know every night you're going i'm gonna stand on a stage somewhere and i'm gonna just say these quirky things that my brain <laughs> comes up with to hopefully interested people but not always yeah um, what a treat. And, and the other 23 hours, even if it was all challenging, were worth it for the hour. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. You know, but getting back to people thinking that they could be a comedian, one thing I, I've come to the conclusion of, there are many people out there who are funny, you know? Um, but I think the difference in being a stand-up as opposed to just being funny with your friends, it's not the funny part. It's the setup. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um mm-hmm. When you're with your friends, everybody knows Joe is cheap, and everybody knows Mary is always late, and everybody knows Fred wears weird clothes. So all you got to do is hit the wisecracks. Yeah. Well, we get on stage behind a microphone, and there ain't nothing there. Yeah. Nothing. We have to set pins up yeah. and then knock them down. Yeah. So that's part of the craft is setting pins up. Right. You know, you walk out, people going, who's this guy? Right. You know, uh, does he know that Joe is cheap? <laughs> you know, there's nothing. There's nothing yeah, there. Yeah. You have to create something right, quickly right. and then knock it down. Right. Which is where you get a lot of people immediately making a joke about their appearance. Or in mm-hmm. my case, my jacket. Even after doing it so long, I'm still opening with something that, about that what gay, I'm wearing. That gay jacket you used to wear? <laughs> <laughs> to, to qu- <laughs> that was excellent. <laughs> I heard about that, Pete. <laughs> you, uh, I believe it's your album open, or no, maybe it's your presents you open with. I'm wearing my getting kind of fat clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just like a natural way in. I had this real epiphany. I said this on the podcast before. If you watch a, a large table of people, like 15 or more, eating dinner in a restaurant, and someone arrives late, that really is kind of the beginning of what stand-up is. Like, they come, there's, there's, there's a ne- necessity for them to stand, explain why they're late, and everyone will laugh. No matter what they say, they're just like, oh, it's like the most primed audience. That's and that's funny. what stand-up is. There's this big audience, and you're arriving late, and there's no seat for you. So you're just kind of like, ah, oh, you guys got appetizers? Yeah. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's what a mean? very interesting way of looking at it. It's yeah. weird. It's just the late guy. But that's so funny. I mean, to... When you do a corporate, I have to. You must do a lot of corporates. I do them from time to time. Maybe not as many as others, but you know, once every couple of months. I just would think if somebody asked me like, "Who's a good comedian for a corporate?" I would be like, "Well, first of all, yeah, I'd say you for anything, but I'd say well, Brian would be great to do like that sort because he's not. 
you know, it's not politics. It's not race. Right. It's not, you know what I mean? It's, it's just hilarious. And uh, I, sometimes I do a corporate here and there. It's been over a, you know, five years since I've done one probably. But I would sometimes research the boss or something. Did you ever do that? So you would know that he was cheap or late or a good dresser. You know, I, <laughs> no? I, I, no, I, no, I go through phases. Oh, okay. I, I, I go f- through phases where it's like, well, let me find out a little bit about the company and, and – uh, and do that. And then there are times when I feel like I'm cheating. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, now I'm cheating by yeah. trying to, like, do jokes that are specific to this. Let me stick to what I do. And then I'll go have two or three bad corporates in a row and go, let me get back to cheating. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I, I've never been overly comfortable in that world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I think – Well, they all know each other. They all know each other. And, 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 and every company is different. But there's a hierarchy in there. Yeah. And one thing that I've learned is that – if you have comedy that comes from a vulnerable perspective, which a lot of my comedy does, you know, it's about feeling uncomfortable and feeling stupid. Well, in a corporate hierarchy, no one wants to play that card. Mm. So when somebody's sitting with their boss, they don't want to be going, I feel like an idiot too. <laughs> you know what I mean? I so, so they're much less willing to give it up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, that's so brilliant, man. I have that problem all the time where I'll be saying how I'm stupid. And it's that invitation for solidarity. It's like it's like right. saying through a joke, essentially, you're not alone. Look, that's the funny thing of it. It's like, I'm the alpha. I'm under lights. I have the microphone. I'm louder and brighter than all of you, and I'm elevated. Yet I'm taking that opportunity to tell you that sometimes I have diarrhea or whatever yes, it is. Yes, exactly. And then the people in the audience get the catharsis of going, yeah, me too. Look, that guy, our leader, our leader gets it. I just want to do your voice the whole – I shouldn't watch your specials. But you, you like, yes. brilliantly put. Well, that's exactly and, – and I think people are much more willing to agree with you when they're not at work and they're mm. just with the people that, they, that they're comfortable with, yep. their family and their friends and they're out on a Saturday night and they go, yeah, we feel silly and stupid too. Right. They're not as willing to give it up in a corporate hierarchy. They won't become a unit. Yeah, they it's, it's a very the th- th- there's a thing going on there that you have to pierce through, and it's challenging sometimes. That's why the the bachelorette party too. They all they're like talk about her. And she's drunk. Yes. And us, us, us. They're us. their own us. unit. It's my brother Dennis. It's his impression of a bachelorette party. More about us <laughs> and her, <laughs> her and us, <laughs> us and her. <laughs> Ah. And it could care less something you thought of <laughs> that you've been working on for eight yeah, years to yeah. finally hone. Yeah. I, Look at what's on her head. I'll <laughs> <laughs> make fun of what's on her head. She's wearing it. I will never forget. I, I guarantee this will make you think of a hundred times this has happened to you. I, I was start talking about the fondness for the for the war story years. Not that I always do well or have ideal circumstances. There's still plenty of horrible gigs in my future, you know. But at the beginning when I was emceeing, I was at the Comedy Cafe in Milwaukee. Did you ever work there? No. Really good club, actually. Really great club. No, I don't want to say actually. So. Kind of condescending with me. <laughs> really good, it actually. It actually was. Yeah. I, I swear. It's it was unlikely the- as that sounds. <laughs> no, the I- setup was perfect. The sound was great. And the audiences were great. And I remember I would, I would do all right. I had a lot of... Very Seinfeldy uh, humor, and it did fine. Mm-hmm. But they were so good that it did pretty well. And then, though, I would have to watch endless uh, headliners kill. It's it's a phenomenon where you're not very good yet, mm-hmm. but you know what you think is good, and then you watch a headliner destroy. 
and you're still you're this weird twenty something year old guy in the back going, This is not not out of hate, but just kinda like this isn't good. Like I know that he brought a bachelorette on stage oh, right. and like grabbed her breasts, then they loved it. I'm in the back. I'm the only one going, that's assault. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> she's loving because she's probably blacked out. Then he bent her over and like mimed having sex with her. And instead of, no, the crowd, I've never heard such laughter. It was like the building was on fire. I thought the building was going to levitate. Everyone was dying with laughter. And then I was like, I was, I was religious at the time. I was so deeply offended, upset, but then also offended in this kind of cleaner way mm-hmm. where I was just like, that's bad. You know what I mean? But I was still – I couldn't be better or get better laughs, but I was like, I know that's bad. Yeah. It's that's weird. low-hanging fruit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's a easy fruit to pick. She was perky. You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 uh, there you go. No, it was their third wedding. It was, they were pretty low-hanging. But I um, – you know, I agree that uh, – I, I don't know. I always feel like – I always feel like that's cheating. You know yeah. what I mean? But uh, it is cheating. You know what I mean? You're, you're going for easy stuff, but but you know, like a bachelorette party, and and not to disparage them, a bachelorette party. They're just going out to have fun, and they might not necessarily know what a comedy club is. You know, yeah. they might think, well, that's what happens. You go in there and they poke fun at you. Right. You know right, what right. I mean? So they're not necessarily evil, but it's just it doesn't fit with what a comedian truly wants to do if he just wants to he or she wants to just share what they want to talk about what makes you know? them laugh yeah and and an invitation to enjoy what they enjoy mm-hmm. not just giving them what they want what they think they want right because there's actually there's what they think they want and then there's the next level can you do you have memories of starting out and being like how am i going to navigate this world because a lot of the guys that gave them exactly what they wanted uh and i'm not putting them down but they didn't necessarily break through to that big level you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Again, that sounds like I'm shitting on I'm really not. But like as a starting guy, and you really are a guy that I think you're one of the like three or four or five voices that was like, I'm going to do it in this different way. Did you struggle at the uphill of, of the – you saw sure. the bachelorette party. You knew if you said, I want to dive into your cleavage. How many MCs have, have I heard say that? Uh, but instead you're going, Pop-Tarts, uh, horizontal. They're like – Talk about your dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 always you know, you know what's interesting for me is I had been doing comedy for a while, and then somebody who I went to college with brought a tape that he and I had made when we were freshmen in college, and this was before I decided to even be a comedian. Mm. And uh, we were doing like these fake interviews. You know, he would interview me. I would pretend like I was some character, and we would do these fake interviews. And he was always, and I'm listening to the tape, and now I, I, I've been doing comedy for many years when I'm listening to this tape, but I realized that the tape was made before I even thought of being a comedian. Mm. And on these tapes, he interviewing me playfully is trying to go in a, you know, a dirty, filthy direction with everything. And I like was uncomfortable even then before I knew I wanted to be a comedian. Oh, I would wow. get it to a quirkier, you know, I would just like dismiss that and get it to a quirkier, sillier, off-the-wall kind of thing. And it kind of comforted me to feel like, wow, that, that was always organic to me. Yeah. Even before I knew about comedy. Right. You know, it was just what I responded but to. But that's what makes it so exciting is you're like, that, that's this guy's tuning fork. You hit it on the wall and it makes this frequency. Mm-hmm. And it's not shifted. It's not manip. You can feel it. 
You know what I mean? It's like suddenly it's a magic trick instead of spending time with Brian. Mm. You know what I mean? It's, so I, that's a great. I love that story. Wow, well, no, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank nothing, you. Nothing brings the, the <laughs> air out of the room than me just declaring that the story's over and that I liked it. That story is over, and now Brian will be telling another story. <laughs> <laughs> we did used to do a character on this podcast called Filthy Regan. Have you? Oh. Has that ever come? You probably run into things like that before. Um, we, I, I was doing a show somewhere, and then after the show. Uh, out by the bar, they had a smaller show, you know, that uh, for like the handful of people that wanted to just hang out at the bar. Mm. And there was a guy, I wish I could remember his name, and I feel horrible that I, I'm not, but uh, he did um, me a, as a filthy act. Really? And went well, on stage. Right there. And uh, he sounded like me. And I, I don't think I've ever laughed harder in my life. I'm in the <laughs> back, you know, it's like, I feel stupid when I'm having sex. And, you know, I'm like, damn. <laughs> Like it was so, the voice was so on the money. He was even like shaking his fingers on his left hand, but with just filthy concepts, but from an I'm stupid perspective. And I was like, damn, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was very That guy, I hope this gets back to him somehow. He's like, that was me. Yeah, I know. We just went, the big yellow one's the goddamn sun. (laughs) We would just insert swears. It didn't help them. Yeah. Well, it's a no, motherfucking it, cup of dirt. It, 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 Nobody it's helps. The ti- it's not the bad word. The timing <laughs> is off then. Especially with cup of dirt. Yeah. It's funny, man, because do you – I? It, it sounds uh, – I don't like this term for it. It's funny because I call it synonym comedy and I don't have another term for it. <laughs> so that's kind of weird because it sounds uh, – there's a judgment in that. But I, I've noticed that I really do think you pioneered – Synonym. I wish there were a better term. Meaning, uh, like you'll say, like, uh, come into my house. Will you step into my house? My house is on fire. My domicile is ablaze. (sighs) You know what I mean? Oh, you want to change it. Yeah, you change it. You say it a different way. But then we're all, it's doing something to our brains that goes like, there are other words for the words. (laughs) And it's so delightful and language is so complex and we forget that we know the word domicile you know what i mean but you do even like a dummy knows domicile you know i'm considering myself a dummy and you know the word domicile and and it's pleasant to almost remember it i i think it's you know to me you come up with an idea for a bit you know a concept or whatever and it's like okay you throw it out on stage and it's working it's like okay they're liking this idea then i love that process of massaging that from night to night and it's like all right what are funnier words to, yeah. to convey the same thing yeah but all right I, I already said this word earlier in the bit find another word that's playful you know and um i just love having those little eureka moments where you go oh wow that word is much more yeah sharp or interesting or peculiar domicile you know? is a funny word yeah where people go oh wow okay that's just uh i i, I always like that feeling of just make if you can make a joke one percent funnier mm. You know, then you've accomplished something. Mm. You know, it's like the, it already worked yesterday, but now I just changed this one word. Snapple guy. I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, years ago, I, uh, I was working at the comic strip in Fort Lauderdale. That's where I started. And Rodney Dangerfield came in Who? on a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you, all right. A tangent. Yeah. I'm being interviewed by a college uh, newspaper reporter. <laughs> and she's like. Tell me some of the comedians who influenced you. This is a tangent story. Yeah. And I said, well, I liked uh, Steve Martin. I really liked George Carlin. And she said, can you spell the last one? 
And I went, I said, oh, no, no, George Carlin. She said, I'm not, I'm not familiar. And like my brain almost exploded. Oh, my I'm like, I don't God. even know. I don't even. Seriously? That is insane. George Carlin? Pablo Picasso what? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Rodney Dangerfield comes in. All right, and he says, uh, you know, small audience, 35 people, the crowd goes nuts, and he was performing at the theater down the road. He goes, I got some stuff I'd like to try out for you, you know? He puts his glasses on, he pulls these three-by-five cards out, and he just, you know, half delivers them, half reads them. Yeah. Uh, Here's one, and he'd throw it out there, and he'd get a half a laugh. The next one would get a good laugh. The third one would get nothing. And he did about 15 minutes of these cards, put them in his pocket, said, hey, thanks for the use of the hall, you know, and, and gets off stage. That was amazing. The next night, he comes in again, asks if he can do some time, which is bizarre in itself. <laughs> like, like, what committee is going to get together? Should we let Rodney Dangerfield go on here is at it, our little comedy club? Does he want us to does, not does, respect does, him? Does, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it rude to respect did, him? Did, yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe he gets so little respect, we're supposed to say no? I don't know. Do, are we part of the persona? <laughs> Where we say, where we don't respect him? <laughs> so it's like this absurd thing where we're like, yes, Mr. Dangerfield, you can go on our little comedy club stage. So he goes on the next night, no glasses, no three by five cards, goes through um, the same material, but um, the stuff that didn't work was gone. Mm. The stuff that did work was in, but was tighter with different words. And I remember in the, I was just in the back and I had like goosebumps because mm. that's when I realized the craft aspect. Mm. You know, like prior to that, it's like, okay, he, he's funny. Comedians are funny. But I was like, oh, it's, you work at this. Like mm-hmm. what, what he did in 24 hours like amazed me. Yeah. And, and I never forgot that. Yeah. Like, um, okay, having the joke is one thing, but you're not done. Right. It's like now you work on it, and right. you tighten it, and you fix it, and you play with it. Right. You know? It's like that, a piece of clay. That's a big Seinfeld thing, too. Like, he loves shaving off one word. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I, I noticed that. I just got off the road. I was in Houston and Dallas. And by the third time I was doing the hour, I was noticing that I was doing those edits. That's what it feels like. To be road strong if you're not really, like, memorizing your act verbatim, which I don't anymore, but you're just jumping right to the word. Like, you don't need to do the thing. You've seen the audience will get it without that phrase, so why say it? You know what I mean? So you're just like, bow, 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 bow. But, but the, what's weird, too, is, like, I, I, it also seems to me like you can go too far in that direction. You can mm. tighten it so much that you're starting to suck the reality out of it, you know? So mm. I, I've always felt like an act is like an accordion. Like, there are times where you're in the process of just squeezing it all together and making it tight as a drum, mm-hmm. but it's also fun to, well, now let me open this baby back up again yeah. and, and, and fill in these gaps with who knows what can happen. And so, like, every, you know, in one set, one set might be a Titan mode, and the next night you might be, I'm going to stretch this out yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes a joke is in a Titan mode, and the next one is on a stretch out mode, you know, and it's like, it's always a work in progress. It's like you're never done, you know? This is a free podcast. People can just listen to it for free. <laughs> I'm just like, what a gem. <laughs> They're just like, I'll oh. download that for free. <laughs> Imagine if when you were coming up, uh, you could listen to a hero be like, it's like an accordion. And that's, it's, you're absolutely right. You go out and sometimes the energy that the crowd gives you, you go, this is a stretch out one. And mm-hmm. then you're like, 
it's not that you're afraid of them, but you're like, I think this is more. They'll like it more if I'm this way with them, and you figure it out moment by moment. Yeah, it's and, alive. And, yeah, and uh, and in a stretch out mode, maybe you're going to find something new that you didn't think was in there. You know, yeah. it's like you got a bit that's already working, but you're being playful, and then you go, Oh man, there's this whole little thing I can throw in there now. Right, you know? right, right. So. I noticed watching your uh, your special. Uh, I was on iTunes, so I think it was a, a little bit old. Um, 2007, I think. So forgive me for not being That's super right. up to date. But I was assuming you haven't changed <laughs> too much. <laughs> I'm sure you've I've grown. Changed by eight years, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that would be some change. <laughs> but I hope you're still doing it that way because it was. I was dying laughing. My dog was looking at me weird, and I noticed that you were making meals of the right moments. You know what I mean? There are these moments where you have to be a guy considering something and i was like oh that's another thing i ripped off of brian is is the fun of going look i can i can speed bag you guys but isn't it funny when i just really own the tension and the silence and the punchline is oh it was butterfly oh you're talking about butterflies and you're trying to think about butterfly questions yeah yeah right and the laugh that you get from just like is uh (laughs) just looking at that that yeah, that's fun because then you go, wow, all right, so this in itself is a joke. Right. You know what I mean? The, the silence is uh, – the right. uncomfortableness is the humor, you know? Right. But uh, it's hard for – you know, it, you talk about that comfort thing on stage. There are things that I still can't do mm. that I don't think I'll ever be able to do. Um, two, two things. One is when a guy halfway through his act takes his sport jacket off. <laughs> I'm never going to be that comfortable. I'm never going to be that comfortable. We were laughing at Don- <laughs> our buddy Donald Glover started his special. He comes out in a leather jacket. First thing he does is takes it uh, off oh. and puts it on the mic stand. And we're like, he just wanted to do that. He didn't want to be chilly from the sides to the stage. Well, it must be cold from the wings to the to the mic stand. He's very particular. Well, you know. <laughs> so you can't I'm, do I'm that. Not, I'm not uh, good for him. That, yeah. that he's co- more comfortable than I am. Yeah. And another one that I know I could never do is sit down. Mm. You know, just sit down on the stool yeah. uh, for five minutes. And it's like, I just, I, I don't have that comfortness yeah. in me. I feel like I got to be standing there yep. doing my thing. Well, the, the, you talked about the crouching. There's an old video of me. Uh, my friend Aaron has it. It's like a really, really old video. And I had clearly just seen you. And the crouching thing, you, you know, you, you hunch over. It's my hunch. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you hunch and but it is almost like a dance. It, it there's this the music thing, right? In himself, I, I always say this, Bill Cosby makes a big deal out of the first laugh he gets. Mm. He you see he gets a laugh and he looks like he forgot it was a comedy show. He makes his face uh, like, oh right. And 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 in that moment the audience sees, oh look, we're pulling strings on this guy. And you're kind of like every microsecond you're going I can see almost the energy charging through you. You know what I mean? Like there's that rhythm and that energy. And I think it really transmits like, no, I need you guys. Like this is us together. I'm sure there are nights you generate it yourself, but I'm talking about like a white hot audience and you kind of surf. Well, I mean, I appreciate that. I mean, that's part of the, uh, the thing is trying to, you know, when a crowd is good, that's one thing, but then, then there are those nights when they're not that good and you have to play that psychological game where you want them to feel like I'm going to have fun regardless. Mm. And then that can work to suck them in, you know, like, uh, 
then that's a fun feeling too, you know, to get a crowd that's not quite there and go up there and just kind of look them over. And that's where silence is important because mm. you need to let them know that you're comfortable. You know that's what I mean? Right. You need to let them know that, uh, don't dance I, for them. I believe, I believe I should be up here. Right. You know, and if you, if you want to come along for the ride, you're welcome to, but you're not stopping me. Right. You know, you're not going to shut me down. And, but, but a lot of that is, you know, uh, psychological, you, you know, Whereas the real you is going, you know you're scared. Yeah, 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 you know yeah. what I mean? Because you don't know if it's going to work. You're absolutely lying to yourself. Y- yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're pretending. Like it's a combination of confidence and faking confidence. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. You know, it's like you know, straddling the line of uh, you know I can't let them know that I feel like they, I shouldn't be up here at this moment. Right. You know? That's exactly right. Well, there is no more uh, delusion than I think in stand-up. Uh, I quote this all the time to stand-ups because I want to hear what they think about it. Birbiglia, Mike Birbiglia in his movie says that uh, all comedians are delusional because for the first five or so years you're terrible, yet you have to go up and say, that was great. Like, that was pretty good. You know what I mean? Maybe not great, but you're like, I think I'm improving. Like, you noticed that you didn't vomit this time or whatever it is and you're like, I'm getting better. I had a moment in my career, I was about a year in, maybe two years in, and uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of bad shows when you first start, and I just happened to have like six or seven bad shows in a row, <laughs> to the point where I was like, what in the hell am I doing with my life? And I actually remember like just looking at myself in a mirror for yeah. like five minutes, having this heart-to-heart with myself. You know, looking at my eyes and my soul going, are you, I, I remember asking myself, are you delusional? Mm. You know, do you really think that you know how to do this? Mm. And, um, and it was like a weird thing. And then the very next night, I happened to have a good set, you know, and it just brought back that confidence. Like, okay, I know how to do it. Yeah. And then I just realized it's just a question of consistency, you know. Yeah. But I was fearful when I was looking in the mirror that I had forgotten how to do it. Like mm-hmm. maybe I never did know how to do it. Yeah. And I faked myself. I faked a few shows through where they laugh, but maybe the real not funny me is taking over now. That's right. So it got scary. Yeah. You know, and then so you need those good shows every now and then. They're like those circus tent poles, you know. It's like, okay, I can still do it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I re- you reminded me when I started in the first three years, I remember being superstitious of my ability to be funny. Because going back to your point that it's one thing being funny with your friends, Robert Klein, he says, and there's a whole other thing of being funny at 8 o'clock on a Saturday mm. for strangers. Like, that's, that's really the difference. And I remember doing all this alchemy, all this like kind of chemistry work, kind of being like, well, I had slept not enough that day Mm. and uh, it was a different time zone. So I'm probably good when I'm in a different time zone and I didn't eat or I did eat Mm. or every, every factor went to the bathroom, didn't go to the bathroom. Literally, I I remember being like, I had to pee that set and I was good. And that, I think that gave me urgency (laughs) so much so that I I had a a, a start driving yourself crazy. Yeah. I had a mole on my forehead that they were like, it's precancerous, which is its own joke. And the, so I, it got it removed, and I was literally worried. I was married at the time. I told my wife, I was like, I'm afraid that the mole is connected to my ability to be funny. And I was li- like, I was a grown man. <laughs> well, 24, but I was still right. like, what if they remove the mole and I can't be funny anymore? And that continues. I continue to sometimes worry that that'll be the thing that stops me. I, I've, I've relaxed quite a bit, but you just made me think of that. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, we all have those little, you know, I, I, I think comedians have to have, you got to be kind of 
have a weird part of a, of your personality to want to do it. Yeah, you know, it's such a risk. It's such a risk. Yeah, to get on stage in front of a bunch of people you don't know, and and if it doesn't go well, that is a horrible, yeah, horrible experience. Mm-hmm. And so for people to be willing to risk that. There's got to be some type of greater good that we see that we're willing to put up with those moments. You right, know? right. And I think a lot of people would just say, hell with it. I, I would never subject myself to that. It's interesting, though. I was just talking to uh, my, my girlfriend about, she, you know, her. We actually weren't talking about her. We were talking about this other friend of ours who's very talented and just can't find the motivation all the time. And I was like, you know, I really feel adviceless because for a stand up, you have that seething pain. Mm. You're, you're on the tightrope. So it's like you have to go and do the thing. And there literally is like – it's like a fight or flight thing. You think you're being attacked. It's emotionally damaging. It's psychologically damaging. It can even be physically damaging like in the sense that you come off and you have a crick in your neck. Like it, it was so stressful that you hurt your neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, what a wonderful motivating factor as opposed to, say, the actor who's sitting around waiting for the audition or the writer who's like, I wish someone would ask me to write something. Uh, and obviously, you can do both of those things on your own terms as well. But the stand-up has the added fear of the hell of the bomb mm-hmm. that you're like, I have to improve. I told her the story. I was like, the first time I really destroyed at an open mic, I got off stage. And it's not that I can't experience joy. I did. I felt good. But as I was walking off stage, I also felt – it was a weekly show. I always did. I was like, what am I going to do next week? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because you can't – so you have this – it's like a river. It's this living thing. It's stand-up. You're, you're joining a fraternity or, or a secret society and it requires pain and sacrifice. And there are all these things you want to avoid. And yet there are all these like wonderful emeralds and jewels that you can find and, and transcendence and enlightenment and, and amazing – things and and so you it's alive and and i think that makes it a great for the lazy person because it's like well you better work either or you're going to feel pain well one thing i've always found this is like a psychological thing and it's probably a deficiency on my part and i don't know if other comedians share it but <laughs> um a laugh is an honest reaction i mean somebody can fake a laugh but you you can tell an, a real laugh yeah and I've been doing this my whole adult life, and when you get a room full of people laughing, I can trust that connection. You know, I can, I can trust that I am communicating with these people and that they are accepting me. And the rest of the world, when there's no laughter involved, it's very bizarre for me because it's like I, it's hard for me to trust. I don't know whether people are liking me or not. Yeah. Unless there's laughter involved, yeah, and I know that's not a you know a healthy way to be, but um, you know because like people can fake other emotions, you know what I mean? But yeah. you, you don't, you can't fake a laugh, and yeah. so it's always been like this. That's one reason why I love being on stage. I know I'm connecting it's and that I'm being accepted. Yeah, it's completely authentic. You know, but if you're just talking to somebody at a party and you just tell this lame story and they right. go, oh, terrific, and then they go grab punch, you're yeah. like, what the hell was that all about? <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that, was, that I just wasted his time and mine because there was no great. laugh at the end. That's great. Yeah. I could have made his life better, but I was just a thing of beige. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing brown and I'm telling a brown story. 
<laughs> Sorry for being so khaki. <laughs> I didn't get any like because a laugh is like a mini firework, and you're yeah, like, I there's, saw it. there's an ending to it. Yeah, yeah uh, Years ago at uh, Stand Up New York, yes. comedy club in uh, New York City, um, they were when Johnny Carson was going to retire. They <laughs> there was a guy named Rodney Dangerfield used to do his show. Um, they wanted. The, the New York Times was going to come in and do a story about his retiring, and they wanted comedians who had done the show. And I had been fortunate enough to do the show before he retired. Yeah. So they wanted you to do a set and then talk about the experience. So I'm on stage, and I do my set, and I got, you know, I, I did fine. But then I stopped and told the story of doing it. And it was like an emotional story, you know, because it was like a dream that every comedian had at yeah, the time. Yeah. And there were no laughs. It was just a, a real accounting of what that experience was like going there and the whole thing and with no laughs. And I walked off stage thinking that was the most horrible thing I've ever done on stage. Mm -hmm. You know, like I felt like I just wasted everybody's time mm -hmm. because I'm so used to you're supposed to get laughs. When and you're feedback. Yeah, Authentic from behind feedback. the microphone, yeah. they're supposed to be laughing. That's how you are successful. When they're not laughing, you're not successful. Right. It's very easy. It's binary. But, but this is the first time I'm not. I'm trying not to be funny, but it felt my, I was so wired into thinking that I had to get laughs that I got off stage feeling horrible. I felt mm. like I had just wasted everybody's time, mm. and I felt so low. And then after the show, people were coming out and coming up to me and um, saying really nice things about, wow, that was an interesting story, and yeah. I, I never realized this or that. But it was, it was very strange, you know, because I'm like, I, I realized how important laughs were to me. Like, yeah. laughs equal success. Lack of laughs, to me, equaled failure. I wonder if you, like me, enjoy uh, stand-up because you know what's supposed to happen. You know what's expected of you. And you know what's expected of them. Again, I'm quoting Seinfeld when it was on 60 Minutes. He goes, I'm comfortable out there, meaning the stage. And then he gestures to the green room filled with agents and like a bodyguard. And he's like, I have no idea what the hell to say to these people. You know <laughs> what I mean? So is there a comfort in going, we know what's going to happen. Sure. Like, you're going to laugh. You're going to applaud. I'm going to crouch. At the end, I'll put my hand up and that will let you know that I'm done. <laughs> you know? Uh, I, definitely. Yeah. Because um, – and it's also you have control. You know, you can control the conversation and, uh, you know, it's – Social gatherings for me, I, I'm not like an introvert. You know, I don't like ball up in the fetal position yeah. behind the couch. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I mean, I can talk to people, <laughs> but I'm definitely more uncomfortable in that atmosphere than I am on stage. Yeah. Because I'll be concealed by the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to think of synonyms. <laughs> But, you know, it's like you don't know you don't know where it's going. You don't know if somebody's going to walk in in the middle of something. Yeah. You know, you're trying to tell a story. and Did somebody they just break up? Yeah. yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, somebody else interrupts. And yeah. uh, I, I, I think somebody told me Larry David did an episode about this, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But it's like I hate being in a restaurant telling a story and a waiter or waitress comes in right on. Yeah. The good part, yeah. and, you know, you're going, so the guy said, who wants nachos? <laughs> Damn. Hitler said, who wants nachos? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> 
you know, it just seems uh, anyway. No, I know. Exactly when what you're you on mean. stage, you control it. You 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 say it when you want to say it, when it needs to be said, with the proper pause and yeah. not fear of you yeah know, nachos. Yeah, nachos. No, I I completely agree, and it goes back to being called quiet off stage. It goes back to thinking that you're going to go in and light up the party. A lot of times, parties filled with comedians, we don't really know what to do. We we end up right. talking shop or, or mm-hmm. telling. Pretty not asinine, but you know, not that crazy stories. We'll, then we'll have some laughs. Obviously, I, I shouldn't have said with other comedians. That that can be the best. But you know, right. a regular party, typically with mixed company, uh, it's not easy for me. And then when I'm on stage, it really does feel. But I do think it's mutually beneficial. I think I know what to do, and I think they know what to do, and I think everybody wins. And that's the cathedral of stand-up. Is everybody's like, it's not just performer and audience. It's all one thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It becomes a show that we call a show. Well, it's also, I mean, as a stand-up, you know, we work towards brevity, you know, to get to the point as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. you know, to have a concise way of uh, getting to a joke. But you feel also when you're just listening to someone at a party telling a story, mm-hmm. don't, don't your eyes glaze over sometimes yeah. when, when they're going off into extraneous information yeah. and, and you're, you're the back of your head is going, edit, edit. <laughs> You know what I mean? It, it's hard to to go get to the point yeah. of the story. Right. You, know? you can't heckle a conversation. Right. <laughs> Heard it. <laughs> Wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, I wonder. And this is, uh, you know, I'm a little. You've you've been doing it so long. I'm worried about asking you questions you've uh, been asked before. But the, for, I'll I'll just say for me, getting the laughs means everything's okay. And then on another level, it means that I'm okay. Do Do you feel that coming maybe from we don't have to get armchair psychology about it, but like from your youth, it's nice to know if sure. people are laughing, they're not fighting. My, my, my parents fought and nothing, nothing crazy, but it was just like if I could get them laughing by putting my face in the noodles, which is stuff I would do. I was always slamming my face into food. I just thought that was as good as it gets. <laughs> Cake was my big closer. <laughs> and then I, I just remember being like, I like being liked, and, and that does come from a certain inherent guilt, and that sounds like a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. I kind of go around on good days where I'm kind. I have a need in me. I, I find often – like I haven't been drinking for the past couple months, and I had a couple drinks while I was on the road because I was like, oh, right, it's kind of the best thing in the world to have a great show and then have a couple drinks. Like it's almost unbeatable. And I'm not talking about getting shit-faced. I mean a couple drinks and I felt good. But I had enough that in the morning I had that little twinge of like, was I okay? Like mm. I, I got loose and I, I did an interview. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm wondering. And that feeling, just a, a pretty innocuous, innocent – was I okay last night feeling made me so much kinder that day. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was go- I told my opener, I was like, yeah, I love you so much. And I meant <laughs> it. I really meant it. I was like, you're so great. We had this great lunch. And it kind of stemmed from an unlikely place of, of, of wanting to be known that I was liked and, and being afraid that I wasn't. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I know, and I don't know if this factors into wanting to make a room full of people laugh. I think it probably does, but, you know, in in families, people take on different roles, and uh, I took on the placator role. You know, where you mm. just try to make sure everybody's good, everybody's happy. You know, and um, like I'm a guy. <laughs> this sounds very self serving, so I yeah, should no, probably please. just stop the story. No, but, please. <laughs> you know, but like if you're at a party and somebody comes in and you can tell they're uncomfortable, that's the person I want to go make feel comfortable. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want everyone in the room to feel comfortable. I, you know, I, I remember doing that in college and stuff like that. And I remember in uh, grade school, fourth grade, fifth grade, 
Our teacher said, tomorrow you have to have a number two pencil to take this very important test to get into this high school. Yeah. If you don't have a number two pencil, you're not going to be able to take the test, and it could affect your future. And I remember looking over at Danny Avril. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to myself, I know Danny Avril is not going to remember to bring in a number two pencil. So I'm going to bring one in for him. Yeah. And uh, so when I went home, I got two number two pencils, and I came in. I had them in my book bag, but I wanted the moment too. Yeah, you know, when yeah. she said, "All right, everybody, take out your number two pencils." You allowed it. Oh, I wanted, it, and I looked over at Danny, and he had this look in his <laughs> eyes, like, "There goes my future." <laughs> and he's like, "Ah!" Oh. <laughs> and I pulled my number two pencil out, and I said, "Hey, man, I brought one for you." And he gave me such a look of thanks, yeah, that it was just overwhelming you yeah. know and i'm like and I, and i think how easy was this to i brought a pencil yeah, in yeah, yeah yeah and made him feel like a million bucks you yeah. know and so it's like jokes are like that you know to make fe- <laughs> you make somebody feel good or a room full of people feel good by just something yeah. i thought yeah. of you know it's a tremendous powerful feeling it's funny i i was i was talking to my friend uh duncan about this about the phenomenon of those days where you just feel like God or the universe is winking at you. You just kind of feel like you're in this flow. And usually it's something very simple. Someone lets you cut in front of them, kind of like your Corvette or convertible mm-hmm. joke. Mm-hmm. But someone lets you cut in front of them. And that person's life, it's not mystical. Let's not, we're not talking about vibrations or energy. We're talking about a, a, a sack of carbon and their gray matter brain. It's different because the universe winked at them in that moment. So we had this phrase where we were like, be the universe winking. And in that moment, like, bring the extra pencil. You know what I mean? That is this unbelievable, simple moment. And I know we can get into that chicken soup for the soul kind of horse shit thing that people don't really like. Oh, put quarters and meters and leave (laughs) notes and stuff. I know we've ruined everything. (laughs) Like, everything's been ruined. But there is genuine opportunity for simple. I think the two examples you gave were very telling. And it's like when you see the guy at the party that's like, just, he doesn't know what he's doing there. That's grace. The guy, you can entertain your friends, but if you go and entertain, we did a monologue on my, I had a talk show and we did a monologue called uh, Everyone Loves the Lovable People. And it was like, love the unlovable people. Right, like that's, right. that's the real skill is like, go to the guy that's always eating hard boiled eggs and herring in his cubicle. Go talk to that guy. Right. He's from Bulgaria. He doesn't know anyone. And it's so simple to give someone a number two pencil. But we're all kind of like, I don't know, man. I'm just Netflix and porn <laughs> and I like pizza. You know what I mean? It's like fucking branch out just a smidge. Just a smidge. I had a situation one time where I was on the wrong side of it. You know, I had just moved to New York and I was like, you know, you have to learn that assertiveness in New York, you know, the don't let people cut in front of you kind of thing. And uh, you're on guard, (laughs) that whole thing. So I'm starting to get that in my bones. I was doing a show, I think it was Columbia, Missouri. I'm not sure. And I had a rental car and I went to a mall. I parked my rental car and I'm walking to the the double doors that lead into the mall. And this other guy, who I was clearly a couple steps ahead of, started like kind of skipping and running up towards the door. And I'm think and and this instinct in me was like this guy's trying to cut in front of me, you know. And I started to like 
figure out the angry words I was going to say and uh, how am I going to handle this? Do I, I can't let this guy get in front of me. I was clearly two steps ahead of him. <laughs> so he goes to get the door and I was just about to say, hey, buddy, I was in front of you. And he opens the door for me uh, and like does a thing like, uh, you know, please. yeah, please, after you. And, you know, I, I had to like go from. One extreme of my brain yeah. to the other from, hey, who the hell did you do? Hey, thank, thanks thank for you. The pencil. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He was giving me a number two pencil. <laughs> and I thought he wanted to poke me in the heart with a number two yeah. pencil. It's funny, man. Like, uh, Valerie, my girlfriend, we went to New York and she hasn't been in New York. I lived there for seven years. And, uh, not that I'm an expert, but, you know, I would tell her would go to, like, some weird salad place where you have to order, and there's three million people in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's not rude. You have to yell, and you have to, like, kind of, like, keep the line moving, keep it tight. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, just really counterintuitive. She's such a sweetheart, and you have to be like, no, I'm not yelling at the guy making the salad. I'm giving – it's so loud. I'm helping. I'm helping him. Right. I'm, I'm like, I'm hey, easy dressing! <laughs> and he's like – God love that angel. <laughs> He's so happy. Like if you're quiet and polite, you fuck yeah, up his, yeah, his it's rhythm. Right. It's it's rude to be yeah. quiet and polite exactly. in that atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. it's a completely upside down world. I remember, uh, you know, in another way, you shaped my career. I moved to New York. Reading about you moving to New York, a lot of the guys I loved moved to New York, and you talked about kind of keeping one foot in relevance and one foot in. Uh, accessibility mm-hmm. is that something no yes yeah yeah and, and in fact i i think i just kind of lucked in if you will um you know i i had been i started in fort lauderdale and then i went out on the road and i was doing mostly road clubs you know and i think i had a combination of interesting kind of comedy but then i also had some pretty so what kind of comedy you know yeah. what i mean like uh it's getting laughs, but not necessarily anything that has to do with me or how I think. And then when I moved to New York, it was difficult at first getting into the New York clubs. And I started realizing that the men and women who are being passed in these clubs, they're all unique. They all have their own little mm. way of looking at the world. And then I, you know, I realized, well, some of my stuff isn't that clever. You know what I mean? Someone else could do it. Yeah, anyone else could do this, you know? So I started realizing the difference in being peculiar and interesting enough to get into the New York clubs. But I also was working on the road. And I also think that a lot of the New York comedians who didn't work on the road in some ways gravitated too far towards being interesting where it wasn't broad enough to be accessible in Minnesota and Ohio and Indiana and stuff like that. Right. And because I had road work that I was doing 50% of the time and, and I was in New York 50% of the time, I, I kind of learned to straddle both worlds. I mm-hmm. had to be interesting enough to get into the clubs but broad enough to be able to get some laughs out there. And I think that kind of helped me by default be able to throw a wide net. It's always the straddlers. Bill Burr is a straddler. He'll play this meltdown, which you should do if you're here on Wednesday. Best room in the city. Rooms, not all rooms. Let's just call them rooms and clubs. And it's always the straddlers. It's mm. always those guys that don't quite feel. They're not fundamentalists. They don't believe in one thing. It's got to play in Peoria, and they don't believe in one thing where it's like it's got to have a Thundercats reference. You know mm. what I mean? It's like it's those guys that are 
you know, it's a little arrogant, I suppose, to include myself in that. But even in high school, I was like friends with the nerds and friends with the jocks. Me too. Friends with the freaks, friends with the drug guys. You know what I mean? I just got off on being like, look, and there's this one thing they all have in common. Something I used to say to myself on the way to road gigs that I was like driving through miles and miles of corn. Just corn, 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 more corn than you want. And I was like, these guys don't give a shit about my back to the future joke. I don't have one. But they do know that they die. I don't have a lot of death <laughs> material, but I have bits about like embarrassing ways to die or things That's to funny. be afraid of. I was like, everybody's afraid a little bit of death <laughs> and everybody's afraid of like axe murder. Like, so I would do a lot of jokes about like my big opener was what if there's a killer in your back seat and you would check for him? Because uh-huh. it was a believable thing that driving through all that corn that I had done that. So I told a little fib and was like, I did that on the way in and that would work. And I was like, Okay, all right. And and then you come back to L.A. Uh, or New York at the time, and you have to try and follow a guy that was like really like almost like a savant. Like, who is mm-hmm. this weirdo? Mm-hmm. And he belongs here in the city. But it's always the Straddlers. I really feel like those 50-50 guys. Yeah, man. It's an interesting uh, thing. Yeah. Going back to the uh, to the uh, the feeling liked and stuff, and, and you were talking a little bit about your family and uh, – that do you remember some of the first moments where you're kind of like, oh, comedy is the way to the world I want to live in? <laughs> Can I? I just want to go back to what you were saying about being friends with the nerds and the jocks and oh, stuff please. like that. That that when I was in college, I, I kind of by default had that same thing. I went to college, a small college in Ohio, Heidelberg College, and I went there to play football. So when I was in high school. I was a jock, not a narrow-minded jock. You know, I mean, it wasn't like a jerk to other people. Right. But that was my world. I, oh, I ran not track. E. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I ran track. I played football. Wait, that's Jack. And um, sorry, man, I've interrupted you twice with a bit that didn't even work. Excuse me. <laughs> I, 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 I should have been more nachos. Given. I should. <laughs> <laughs> I should have given you a number two pencil and laughed at your. Thanks for the pencil. Your reference, but uh, uh, please, sorry, you weren't a jerk. You were a jock. And um, in high school, and yeah. then I went to college to play football. Small college, not a big deal. And then I switched majors from accounting to theater. And so I was in plays and stuff. I was in theater like the second semester of each year, and I was playing football the first semester. And they were two completely different worlds. And it was like it felt to me like the guys on the football team had no idea. I was in a King Lear play, mm. and the guys in the theater had no idea I played football, right. but I loved being part of both those atmospheres, yeah. you know? So, yeah. Anyway. No, I, 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 I don't know what it is about that, like that kind of uh, undercover work <laughs> right. that really serves – I think it serves the artist. You see those guys that don't have any road on them or just any – like, you don't have to work the road. But going to Irvine, I say, is like going on the road. It's very similar to going to, say, uh, I just did um, near Miami. I was like, it's very, very similar. So you don't have to fly to Miami to do a, a room that's going to mm-hmm. be like women that n- know what Cold Stone Creamery is. You know what I mean? And then, But then there's those guys, I think it's almost even – both are equally dangerous. The guy that gets up and is only – a certain brand of sarcasm or, or uh, only a certain amount of references or whatever it is. And you're mm-hmm. just kind of like, this is great. But I mean, like we need, we've said this many times. One is cardio and one is, is weights and you got to do both. Got it. <laughs> right. 
We're hitting some analogies here. I know. Your accordion one is still the one to beat. It's not a competition. I've been writing down so many things. No, if there's a weightlifter out there that wants to get into comedy, now he gets it. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Reminds me of your Mr. Universe thing about, like, a system of pulleys. Such (laughs) a great line. Also, will you forgive me? I just think it's a lesser known bit of yours that I love, I think. Is your uh, international house of pancakes? Oh, yeah, and, with the roof. Yeah, yeah. And I, you say I sing that every time I pass one. Pancakes. <laughs> pancakes. Pancakes. That's a fun bit to do. It's so fun. <laughs> and if you'll forgive me, on the special that I saw it on, it doesn't do that well. Oh, I don't it care. Does, I know you, know you know don't. Mean? But like, I, I saw something that I thought on your face. It did well. They even applauded. But I was like, you dummy should have clapped at the setup. And the setup is the, the peaks are too serious. It's not a monastery. Well, or- no, well it's the uh, when an international house of pancakes goes out of business and another business tries to go into that same building. I said, there's no way you can take them seriously. And I said, you know, the, the people in the new company have to deal with just an endless stream of people walking in going, hey, can I get a stack of pancakes? And and I uh, do the people, the new people that always have to pretend like they never heard it. <laughs> uh, pancake jokes, Charlie. I guess this place used to be a pancake establishment. <laughs> that's great. Thank yeah. you for doing it. Sorry to morning radio uh, you. That's all right. But man. I wanted to do it. Uh, let me look at what I had here. Oh, I had a save line that I thought you would enjoy, which okay. was going back to your idea of if you're not getting a laugh, you don't know how it's going. I used to open mic days. If I told a joke that didn't work, I said, I used to, I envy people that are in plays because they could say a line like that, not get a laugh, and then, then people might be like, maybe he's trying to be moving. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, maybe it's like a funny, a funny moment. <laughs> this is something that people are going to watch. There's a story, and it's not that big of a deal or awkward, but I told this story where we met in Miami and I was drunk and I made an ass of myself just to tip the bit up top. There's no part of the story where you did anything wrong. Because um, I was probably drunk, too, and I'm sure I made an ass of myself. <laughs> no, we were you, probably concurrently making asses out of ourselves. <laughs> well, the story goes like this. Any good meeting a hero of your story, I went up to you sober, and it was uh, you did this theater in Miami. It was probably five, six years ago. Okay. And uh, I went up to you, and I had this great compliment for you. Sometimes I have compliments. I thought it was great. Ready for people. Like when I met Seinfeld, uh, I actually didn't say it. I just met him. And I wanted to say thank you for making the movie Comedian. It really helped people understand what we do. I just thought that was a unique compliment. Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, what's Kramer like? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> See, racist anyway. Uh, but with you, my compliment was every famous comedian should get a hand, write you a handwritten thank you note. Because I really just feel your voice very sweet. in everybody's thing. I, I really think you were an innovator. And, and then there's a, there's a lot of people that... Just benefit. I I am one of those people. I benefit. I have a bit right now about an alien talking to a guy, and I just I was watching your special today. I was like, "That's that's straight Regan." So thank you. Well, it's a very nice compliment. So thank you. I and I I hope to do whatever molecules of you are in me. I hope to do them justice. So I go up and I tell you that just the handwritten thank you note, and you're very gracious. You're with your family, like a lot of your family is there. So I should have known well enough to leave. Joe Mandy, this other comedian, was with me. Then sober Pete was like. We had a good moment with Brian. Let's leave him alone. So Pete has a few slippery American cocktails. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, 
you, I know you know this feeling because I feel so distant from it now. Not that I'm like Johnny Showbiz, but we know that feeling that we're like, is there something I'm supposed to do? Like, am I supposed to like get in touch with him somehow? And I went up and I was like, because I didn't tell you I was a comedian. I was like, I'm a comedian too. And you're like, okay, cool. Okay, cool, man. Like you're mid conversation. I'm the guy going nachos. Like I was interrupting. I'm just sweaty and fat. You know what I mean? I'm like, hey, Brian, I'm a comedian too. And you're like, okay, cool. And I was like, I'd love to work with you someday. Like, just to everyone listening, what, relax. Just keep doing good work. You know what I mean? Like maybe you'll work with Brian. It doesn't. It's not going to come from that moment. Sweaty. Backstage in Miami. You're not going to go, oh, I got a few gaps in the calendar. You know what I mean? You seem charming. Like run to the dressing room and come back with my calendar. <laughs> what are you doing at 24th? <laughs> Since you're free. I've never seen you. I'm sure you're great. You've got so much tact. Uh, and, uh, and then I think I just, well, yeah, I was, oh, I go, I'd love for you to see some of my stuff. Can I email you? That was the, mm. that, and I've, had this happen to me, you know, so since then, not at that point. And it was so funny. We, it was a big story, a big laugh on this podcast. Oh, no. You go, uh, uh, you know, you don't want to give me your email. Right. Uh, and I'm like, or you kind of started backing away slowly, which I have to say, Brian, that was the right move. You were kind of moonwalking. That feels about right. It feels about right so far. You were moonwalking into the crescent shape of another group. Just kind of like like the T-1000 going through a wall. You were leaving the room. And I was like, or I could – I'm calling after you now. I think that's a good – the next good play is to call after you. I go, or I could give you mine. And I go, it's blah, 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 at Gmail. And you go, at Gmail? <laughs> since hey, I got then, it. Since then – my girlfriend will still go at Gmail. Like, if there's ever a moment where someone's making, if I'm making an ass of myself, it becomes an at Gmail moment. Because you did it. It was almost worth it because you did a bit. It was like you were doing a bit oh, to me going, at Gmail. And we actually have a photo. I, I couldn't find it for the life of me, but we took the most kind of like awkward, like, please leave me alone, you giant, sweaty, drunk Lithuanian. No one needs uh, it. I, uh, I hope you understand. You understand? <laughs> I do. You I understand do. now? <laughs> yeah. The, I completely understand. Well, the, the trading info is always awkward. Yeah. You know? I, I've seen people that just give uh, fake. I've seen people that give their agents or whatever. Right. And then I saw a man moonwalk and go at Gmail. <laughs> Uh, I didn't realize it worked so efficiently. I mean, that's going to be my, my go-to now. Joe Mandy, man, the most <laughs> sarcastic guy, so funny, just looked at me, and he just knew that I had just diarrhea everywhere. And I just was like, oh, man, fuck my face. Uh, well, now I know how to get in touch with you. It's at yeah. Gmail, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just yeah, at, at Gmail. Gmail. okay. I signed up real early. <laughs> I, I want to talk... Uh, <laughs> Unless you, I'm sorry, I don't want to. Go no, 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 that's funny. <laughs> uh, the uh, when I saw you at the Comedy Connection in Boston, I just remember it's funny the things that'll stand out about a show. And the thing that really stood out is everyone cheered, and you kind of had this moment of like, "Wow, like thank you." It was like really good love. I was going to say hometown love, but not, it was my hometown. But like people were going nuts, and then uh, I was like, I remember thinking, "How is he going to open?" And I'm telling you, man, I did a set last night. I'm still like, how am I going to open? 
I don't know how to open. I wasn't wearing the jacket. <laughs> I wasn't wearing my opener. <laughs> so you never know how you're going to open. And you, uh, and I saw this on the special you do, you just open with a bit. There's something almost like bonsai tree or, or a master chef just serving you beef tartare and just being like, now nah, here's a bit. I'm not going to be like, Boston, guys, cold, cold uh. here. But you just, you went, uh, this was your opening line. You went, uh, just bought a grill, and I had to put it together. It was pretty easy. It's like putting together a rocket. <laughs> and then we were off. Like, f- f- get out of my face, everybody that's kind of like, and I'm speaking to myself, almost like you have to sneak in to stand up, or you have to, like, finesse it in. And, that, and that's true. But Ray Romano, John Mulaney, and you are these guys that just go out and go like, so I wear glasses, and you're in. You're not ashamed of the form, and better yet, you know it's going to deliver. It's going to rocket. Well, people know you're there to do stand-up. You know, they're not like, who is this guy, and what is this all about? <laughs> but at the same time, I have to give credit to uh, Mike McDonald from Canada, comedian Mike McDonald. I was doing a TV taping years ago out in Los Angeles, and it was one of those things where there were like four or five comedians on the show. And I was grappling with how I was going to get into my first bit, and it was like comedians were hanging out, and I was like, I don't know how to, I forget what the bit was. I said, I don't know how to get on stage and start talking about this. And he said, why don't you just get right into it? Mm. You know, almost like, mm. just do it. Yeah. And it was like, uh, wow. You know, like that was, it, it was such, uh, so simple. Yeah, elegant. Yeah, yeah. and I was like. Okay, you know, like I felt stupid that yeah, I hadn't yeah, yeah. thought of that. Yeah, and so I did. I just went out and did the bit, and it worked just fine. And yeah. I'm like, wow, there's something to just kind of getting right at it, you know? Right. I mean, like I say, an audience knows you're you've just been introduced as a stand-up comedian. I think they're going to give you the give you that. But that pocket, and this is almost one of those things I don't like talking about too much because I don't want to dissect the bird and lose the song oh. <laughs> oh god shoot me in the face but like there's that moment where they're applauding and it's dying down mm. and it's that we all know that feeling of just like there's a slot you know what i mean and it, it's like an arcade game with the tokens and you want to knock tokens off and you, you just get it perfectly and uh that's when you go i just bought a grill you know what i mean there's like a hello you couldn't they're still clapping so i just bought a grill obviously that's wrong but then there's that like there's this weird presence of going like I heard the noise the audience made and it's actually a silent sound of it's okay to say I bought a grill now and that's really mm. I think part of it like you can do stand up but it's not as easy I just saw somebody somebody that I really love and they went on stage and I was like why did he just start because he followed me and I'm sloppy and I'm stupid and I'm incorporating people and then the next guy just went up and almost while they were applauding they're like the phone book or whatever and I'm just like just you know, let it reset a little bit, or, or find that mm. little pocket of silence, so you know it's almost like kung fu. It's like kick now, like you know what I mean. Well, there are times when like I'm working on a spot, like a TV spot, and you don't really have the luxury of coming out and doing a lot of you know welcoming kind of stuff. And so yeah. when I'm doing clubs or wherever, it's like that's the way to practice it is by getting it in your bones of just going out and getting right into it. And it does feel kind of awkward sometimes, but yeah. I think crowds are like, okay, we get it. But it's the real craft guys that, that push through that, that go like, it's okay. Like there's, there's this unspoken, it's okay. I'm going to do a bit. It's okay. Mm. Join me in the bit. I know it's weird that I just got up and said I bought a grill instead of being like, good evening. 
<laughs> it's a big but, thrill to be here. But, you know, yeah. I, I guess what would happen? Someone in the audience would go, hey, that's stand-up comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Although, yeah. I, it's funny. That's what it is. We were talking about the sea change of comedy, you know what I mean? And, and it's, it's 2015 and things are a little bit different. And your Louis and your Marins and your Burrs and stuff are in the camp of you go up. The way to kill here at Meltdown or to kill at like uh, a room, like an alt, now we'll say an alt room, is to almost act like you're not doing stand-up kind of at the beginning. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it might be a good disguised line like, hey, I'm wearing my fat clothes. I'm wearing my getting kind of fat clothes. Seems like a sneaky way in. I just bought a grill could it doesn't with you i swear you could do i you could open the exact same way but with some people for some reason we were like don't don't just don't just res we're not a mirror we're not in your hotel room mm. like see us more the premium now for audiences sometimes in these more young hip rooms is to really be seen and see something that they couldn't have watched on youtube whereas i again i think what the way you do it is better <laughs> because there's there's a finesse to it. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate it. I, I, I don't really do, you know, the alternative scene. I just I, I've been invited to it and uh, I'd love to watch and that sort of thing. But I also try to be careful not to uh, change what I do. Yeah. You know, like I, I like what I do and I think and I like how I do it. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't think comedy should grow and change. It should. Every art form should. But I, I don't want to be like the older guy that's trying to be young and hip either. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like I want to be true to what I do. And, and I don't know how I would do in an Bill, alternative room. I don't know. Just wear Bill Murray's camo shirt from Lost in Translation. <laughs> He's like, is this too young? I'm so, I'm so, so sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, we've talked, I feel like we've really gotten it. Like this podcast usually goes for two hours. It's been an hour and a half. Oh, mm. my God. That's great. So we're kind of on schedule. Uh, and thank you so much for your time. Of course. I'm just looking at my notes before we go into the last thing. You have pain. a thing. Pain is a why, motivator. Why are you so handsome? <laughs> Brian, I actually. I saw you write that. I, don't know. I just thought I was like, I just watched a special of you seven years ago. And I was like, you look better now. <laughs> you must uh, be deliberate. I, I, I'm actually trying to be get in shape for this special. This is, that is right? the most dedicated I've ever. I've lost 20 pounds. Yeah. In two months. What did you do? Just working out and yeah. trying to, you know, this morning I had an egg white omelet. <laughs> it feels weird ordering it, yeah. you know. It's like, I'm, I want a double cheese yeah, ham yeah, yeah. omelet. And, yeah. you know, so I'm just, you know, so I'll, I'll hopefully look okay for the special. <laughs> and really then I'll funny. get right back to my raised pizza with yeah. sausage and pepperoni. I, I tell everybody, I said, watch me 10 o'clock Saturday night because the special is 9 o'clock uh, 10 o'clock, Saturday night, September 26th, I'm ordering an extra large yeah. raised sausage and pepperoni extra cheese pizza. I have also lost weight, and it's for something that I'm about to tape, and it's a script, and I'm writing the script. Mm. And so much, uh, I'm so looking forward to eating again that I'm writing it into the script. <laughs> Pete's eating wings. I'm a vegan, but I'm like, look, my character's not a vegan. Like, he's eating wings. Like, I guess I have to eat wings. That's uh, funny. Wings are delicious, by the way. Um, well, we, I think I got everything. Oh, thanks for I'm the pencil, sorry. lore. Oh, Brian Regan, lore. We could dip into this. Uh, growing up, growing up in comedy, you would hear Brian Regan lore stories like when Brian Regan was here, 
he had the entire staff back to his hotel room for pizza. And you'd be like, is that true? (laughs) It was really like the stuff of Bunyan. <laughs> some of it was, some of it was true. Yeah, um, I mean, it depends on what story. I don't know if well, I know just, all the stories. It was but, that um, one, and then there were stories of like he does a different set every night. Like he'll do an A show and a B show, and people come back. And I had that. Yeah, you did that. I had uh, two. I would go to a comedy club for a month, and uh, I was too. You know, I, I thought this is when. Um, uh, one man shows were becoming a big thing. Yeah. You know, and everybody would like put a serious point on the show and I'm like, nah, I don't want to do that. I like stand-up comedy. <laughs> so I was trying to think of something that could be a little unique and I thought, well, I've got two hours of stuff I'm playing around with. Why don't I split it into two different shows? So I did uh, two shows and I, I called them The Idiot and The Oddity. Ha. Yeah. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> The Idiot and The Oddity and they were... Power at- sales on The Oddity. <laughs> Well, I, I would do one show, and then there, there was a calendar, and then the MC at the end of the show would go, hey, if you liked what you saw, he's got a completely different hour, you might want to come back. So uh. people would come back and watch the other show. Oh, that's great. So I had two different uh, shows. But I, did, I ended up not liking it, ultimately, because once you put a title on a show, people check it off. Uh. So people were coming up to me at the end of the month going, we've seen The Idiot, and we've seen The Oddity. Right. Next time you come to town, you're going to have two new hours? Right. And I'm like... <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people that don't have two shows. I showed you two. Yeah. Now I'm pressured to do two more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought, you know what? I don't like the titling a show idea. I'm just, it's just That's from then on, it was just me coming in, and then I just like to gradually turn the material over. And if you come back two years from now, hopefully I'll be doing a bunch of stuff that you didn't see last time. Right, right, right. But if you have a title on it, then right. the, if you do one joke, right, go that was in the thing with the name oddity, right? What so a specific heckle, idiot. <laughs> really works on two levels uh but yeah friendly guy and uh killing it with some kindness on the road and kind of making yeah. a because the road That's can nice be a hear. weird place and a lonely place and it's and, always fun to you know comedy club staffs you know very friendly people they love comedy and it's fun to go out to a yeah. new, bar afterwards and take care of everybody and there is something like lewis black you hear like stories of lewis giving everyone the album and uh, buying everybody a, a special meal or something and there is something weird when you're rolling in i don't want to be gauche and talk about money but i have to assume if, if you're you're a moderately successful comedian you're making more than the waitresses you know what i mean so there's something about being like i had the most fun job it was very difficult to get there but it was i had the most fun and then the the salary is more than the people that were dealing with the guy that was like, I said Red Bull, not Sprite. Mm-hmm. So something about paying it back it seems very nice. I, I like that, that, that Year, you have that lore. Years ago, I worked at the Punchline in Atlanta. I was either the opener or the middle. It doesn't matter. Shirley Hempful mm. was the headliner. And uh, she was on that show, What's Happening, I think. You know, oh, she, uh, Little Afro. Yes. Yep. Yes, and uh, she would kill. She would crush it. Very sweet and nice offstage. And on the Sunday, the final night, she took the staff out for dinner. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's the way you do it. Yeah. You know, she showed her appreciation. You know, I'm like, she's a TV star. Yeah. She could say goodnight and then go back to her hotel and be done. And she's showing her appreciation. And, you know, it's little moments like that where you see somebody else do that where you go, maybe that's the way to be. Yeah. Good, good on you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs>
So I sat down. I took advantage of her kindness. And I was wolfing down like steak Oysters. and shrimp and stuff. I was like, look at this moron paying. And I, what do I care? I had so much shrimp that night. It was unbelievable. I remember like afterwards doing shots with friends going, what a sucker she is. There are evil people like that. Um, <laughs> well, the final thing we always talk about is something that I've always wanted to talk to you about. And, and uh, again, it, just like all the other weird things, you don't have to – I don't have to – you're a grown man with boundaries. But feel free to skip any part of it. But I like talking about the meaning of life. Uh-huh. And I am one of those guys. I told you that I grew up uh, religious. I, I still remain a Christ-leaning spiritual seeker person. I enjoy that narrative and that story partly because – it's how I was raised and partly because I think they're all very similar and they're telling a story of awakening and enlightenment and redemption and connectness and light over dark and um, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I remember you, I used to look in your albums, I'd buy your albums and I would scour the thank yous to see if you – some hint at <laughs> spirituality because as you know, I know you know, you must know. The Mormons probably claim you. They're like, there's a rumor he's with the Latter-day Saints. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the Jehovah's Witnesses probably claim you. And the, and the Christians and whatever group it is probably likes to – I should just speak for myself. As a, a Christian, I used to be like, Brian, he's, he's got to be with us. Nobody, nobody would do it just because they did an interview in college and they <laughs> took things to the goofy. <laughs> so it's a really – it's a surreal and fun moment. And I'm not looking for religious affiliations or, or, or be like, is it a money move? You want that sweet Christian audience? I'm just wondering, as a man, what, what's going on here? Like, what is, what is reality? Why, what is consciousness? I, I, I see you're a kind person. And what is it, what is it all kind of I, amount to? I don't know. I mean, I, I truly think – I mean, this is just me. Everybody has their own I, – I, I'm increasingly – becoming fascinated with belief systems and realizing that everybody goes through this world in a bubble and it's a belief system Mm. and there are things in this belief system that uh, are religious. I mean, some people take it to, you know, some people have everything wired in. It's like, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. Mm -hmm. They're the best. I'm a Republican, mm-hmm. and I'm a Catholic, and those are all the correct ways to go through life, you know? And I realize, well, somebody else is riding around in a different bubble, you know? Someone else is an atheist and doesn't like football at all and, uh, you know, is, you know, a Democrat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... Don't the, the more I go through life, the more I realize how little I know. You know, it's like all I can do is make an educated guess on whether or not there's a God or whether the Republican Party is better than the Democratic Party mm-hmm. or whether my Miami Dolphins are, you know, on track to win a Super Bowl. Um, and I find myself feeling... Uh, I don't know. It's challenging for me when someone doesn't approach everything, including religious beliefs, with a sense of wonder. Mm. You know, when somebody has it so locked down that they're convinced, that's challenging for me. It's like, it's okay to believe, but at the same time, how do we know? You know, and Mm. it's like, that's my feeling. And I love having discussions with people about very serious things, but only if that other person also approaches it with a sense of wonder. Mm. 
Hmm. You know, it's like, gee, I wonder if there is a God. I wonder if there's not a God. Right. I wonder if this political philosophy is correct or that. And let's talk about it in a friendly way. But some people are so locked in that it's not a friendly discussion. It gets it gets fueled with anger. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe what that person believes, it becomes very tense. And so because of that, it can get very strange, you know. So I don't know. I'm, I'm going off on a super serious no, tangent, so I apologize. I, but um, I've never been this quiet during this section <laughs> Well, <laughs> because I love it. I, I, I'm, I find myself getting more and more intrigued with people who have changed their mind. It doesn't matter what direction. Mm. If you used to believe in God and now you don't, I want to know what changed your mind. What, 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 what was the tipping point? Right. If you didn't believe in God and now you do, why? Because a lot of people can ride the ride that they've rode since they were young. It's like I was told when I was a kid that there was a God and I'm riding this till I die. Well, that's fine. But I want to have a conversation with somebody who changed their mind and find out why. Yep. You know, you... People who used to be a Republican and now they're a Democrat. Why? What? What? If if because some people just ride the ride the whole way. You know, you've got your right wing TV, you got your left wing TV, and nobody's ever. I want to hear one person on one of these political talk shows just once say, "Wow, I never looked at it that way." You changed my mind. That just doesn't happen. It, it's seen as a weakness to change your mind yeah. in this world, and I think that should be a strength. That's that's heralded, yep. you know, to go, you've told me some information that I never considered, and so therefore, I'm willing to move from my position. And I just wish more people would be open-minded enough to be willing to change, regardless of whether it's this way to that way, just to be open to change, period. Right. That's, uh, that's, I, I... But I got this donut sprinkle <laughs> joke that I'm trying <laughs> That's what uh, – I always get his name wrong. Who, who wrote the book I Am That? Would you look that up? I always, I always say his name wrong. I don't want to say it wrong. But he – please, Aristotle. I just barked an order at you as I'm talking about <laughs> compassion. <But> you! <laughs> Man boy! <laughs> he says it's called compassionate listening and he thinks that's the mm. key to world peace. He really does. He says if someone could sit down with their enemy and agendalessly listen to their side, if you could sit down with – you could say Al-Qaeda or whatever group you want to say. And without any sort of like, I'm here to convince you to stop this and this and start this and this and accept me, merge with me, join us or die. Mm-hmm. If you can just listen to people's pain, because there's always going to be some pain behind any group that they're either trying to alleviate, avenge or avoid. If you can just sit and this is this is a monk. This is something that you just said very articulately and uh, colloquially, you know, not in that sort of pancakes <laughs> sort of way, but he thinks that sort of compassionate listening, open-heartedness, and uh, not riding out that inherited faith. I, I think you're absolutely right. When you, when you take what you've inherited and you just go, God said it, I believe it, that does it, or mom said it, I believe it, that does it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's where the humanity is. I don't think that's where the juice is. I don't think that that's where the life is. I think the life is in – look at the words that, that even Christians uh, – the Christian faith uses, redemption and, and change. You know what I mean? Like growth, mm-hmm. light over dark. That means there was dark. That means you're shifting and moving. And uh, I really think there's something about resetting and, and thought experiments and going – why do you believe this? And what if you didn't? Just as an experiment for yourself, just privately. What if I believed differently? 
Because something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which actually goes back to your jazz and rock and roll thing, is I don't think it's a utopia. It's, a, it's an assumption of a lot of people of faith. A utopia is where everyone believes what I believe. Mm. Like, let's say I'm a Jesus guy. I want everyone to come to Jesus. I actually don't want everyone to come to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't want everyone to be a vegan. I don't want everybody to be a comedian. I don't want everybody to be silly right. or goofy. Because Alan Watts makes this point. He's like, the one defines the other. The atheist informs the believer, and the believer informs the atheist. Otherwise, would be living in a black void, just right. the void of space. So it is change. The discussion, Rob Bell would say, the discussion is holy. That sort of – and it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the guy – I'm just echoing back what you're saying, agreeing. The guy that goes, I'm raised – I'm a Jesuit and I'm a Steelers fan and I'm a, a, in the Green Party, mm-hmm. whatever. That's, that's, value, that's his group and that's okay. That's his bubble. Mm-hmm. It's the easier thing. But there is something for, for other people. It might be enjoyable to go, what if I get rid of this bubble? What if I just realize I'm in a bubble? Mm-hmm. That's a nice place to start mm-hmm. and go like no matter what my beliefs are – they're serving me and they're, and they're changing the way I see the world. What if I look at this person's bubble? To me, the juice now is in what I love because it's what happened to me is having a, a fundamentalist faith, meaning like a literal interpretation, faith in one faith, one true God stuff, I'm right, you're wrong stuff. Losing your faith, that's very essential now I, for me. The deconstruction, the really going like, oh, this stuff was written 150 years after Jesus was alive. If you ever existed, all that stuff. Get that all in there, mix it all up and mm-hmm. get it. And then the redefining, finding some sort of way to reclaim your wonder and as the basic general question of what is this? Mm-hmm. And the people that lose the what is this are the people that get angry and lose their, and it's less fun to talk to them. Right. No, that's all wonderfully put. I'm just saying what you said. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think. I, no, I, I appreciate it. You know, and, and I think that a lot of people, unfortunately, if you are so – someone can be so locked into their belief system that they only want to read and watch things that reinforce what they already believe. And I feel like they're missing out on an opportunity to, to grow as a human being. Not that they have to change, but challenge your belief system. Yeah. You know, be willing to – to read the other side yeah. and, and see if it, you know, not, not like, oh, I want to change. You, you might never change. That's fine. But at least be open to hearing everybody else's positions. You can leave a bookmark where you are and then read behind or in front. It's, it's not progress or, or regression. Well, you can read the other changes in the book of your life. Yes. Dun- Duncan Trussell talks about, like, we're all basically astronauts and we're in these spacesuits made out of meat. And we've come to this dimension, depending on how trippy you want to go. We've come to this planet. We've come to this dimension. And we're here. And your suit is decaying. Right. It, it, it has a time limit. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's about experiencing and challenging and shaping. And, or it could just be about writing it out. That's one choice you can make as your, as your flesh astronaut. Or you can go like, let's, let's explore everything. And it's okay. And this is something I'm saying to young Pete. It's okay to put a bookmark on your uh, virgin birth, physical death, and resurrection place and then go, what was, what's this Buddha guy about? There's literally documentaries. Sure. You don't even have to read. Right. <laughs> right, right. You don't have – I love your bit about the table saw. <laughs> you don't have to even read. You can be lazy as shit and go on YouTube and find out 
what the Dalai Lama has to say about compassion. Mm-hmm. And you start going like, oh, man, there's all this overlap. And, and, and then some of the pain that comes with fundamentalist belief starts to go away. And I'm talking about my own pain. The pain of thinking that you, Brian, or Aristotle would go to hell because you don't believe. That's a painful thing to every day cover with ice cream and, yeah, and, yeah. and Netflix videos. And you can get you can start to liberate yourself in certain ways and start to live more compassionately and more unified. I agree completely. I mean, you just look at uh, just one topic, the abortion topic. You know, it's like um, there's so much venom and hatred between the the two different belief systems, and it's like even if you're in one camp, why can't you be compassionate about the other side? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. Uh, the people on the other side aren't evil. They just, they have a different way of looking at it. Right. You know, that doesn't make them evil, wicked people. And, you know, so that's what bothers me is this uh, denouncement, this condescension that, that that's so prevalent in um, our society. You know, it's like, I believe this and anybody that doesn't is an idiot. And right. let's make fun of them. Let's poke fun at them. Let's ridicule them. It's like, well, why? You know, it, it, it's okay to... Un- it's okay for people to, to disagree right. with you. That's right. In fact... That doesn't make them idiots. They define you, even. You know. <laughs> they, re- they reflect back to you and help you know who you are. It's all clanism. This is a, a Joseph Campbell. Joey Cams talks about the pleasures of clan. Mm-hmm. We love going, this is my village. I see... I'm from Boston. There's no place like Boston. It's like, <laughs> I'm a Bostonian. This is how I talk. These are my teams. This is how I drive. You know what I mean? And... And there's something – you can see the good side of that. When after the marathon, it was like Boston strong. That's a clan thing. Mm-hmm. We are Boston. Right. It's a made-up thing. It's a made-up territory. It's mm-hmm. a pretend thing. We're all just kind of walking around <laughs> in a space. But like there's a value to that. And I think the dark side to it is when you really get in my way or the highway – to hell, <laughs> my way in the highway to hell. You know, and, and I think that's what's unappealing. Similarly, as a stand-up, bringing this back strangely to stand-up, is that was my complaint about doing a city, which I'll leave unnamed. But I got off stage and I said to my uh, opener, I was like, they just wanted me to reflect their worldview back to them. They wanted me to say, because I have a bit right now, one of my favorite bits about how guys don't always want to have sex. And because we're human beings. Mm-hmm. And one of the key lines that will help you understand is I go, I'm not in the mood. I just heard a song that made me think of my father, right? Which is a big line. <laughs> like, I don't want you to fuck me, right? Like, I'm not an orangutan. It's my favorite bit uh, right now. And I'm doing it. And the crowd is like, just not. They're like, no, we came here. Punch the ticket. Right. Nacho right. cheese is good. <laughs> Sex is good. Uh, our sports team is good. It's yeah. those cheating confirm, things. Confirm our beliefs. Please just reflect. Nothing will change. Mm-hmm. We will leave it, like, uh, like a, a battle speech, like a general talking to his army, talking about how our side is right. Let's go and kill the people that aren't like us. I know you can rally them up. Bringing back George Carlin. Who? George Carlin uh, was that guy. He was like, I'm going to go up and, and, and try and mix it up. Right. Poke yeah. a stick at things. Yeah. In yeah. a hilarious way. What a fun way to trick you into going like, oh, that is a weird paradigm I've allowed into my bubble without any thought. One uh, bit I'm sort of playing, playing around with has to do with uh, – in LA, all right, you know, you, you go to the Academy Awards and somebody goes on stage and they give some politically correct 
speech, you know, a little moment, and everybody in the audience stands up and gives that person a standing ovation. When that person who just got the standing ovation later that night is trying to merge onto the 405, those people who just stood up for them will not let them in. <laughs> Because they don't know that yes. who that you know yes. now now the real them kicks in. Yeah, you're not getting in front of me. Yes. Well, where did all that magnanimity, whatever that word is, magnanimousness? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, it's all gone. Man. You know, the selfishness kicks in, and I don't mean just L.A. I just mean that throughout the you know, yeah, the 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 society. You know, it's like. People think they're open-minded, yet when you're in your car and you're cutting people off, then you can throw all that crap out the window because you're not that nice. That's right. It's the it's the thanks for the pencil. It's the it's the guy you thought he was cutting and then opens the door. We shift and and we tense up and and we protect our nest or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I, that is such a thought from my own brain. Uh, just the dichotomy of of how we can be so compassionate, loving, and and standing ovationing, and then we can the same person will be unkind because yes. because you're you're not a celebrity giving a speech anymore you're a car you're a car and you're trying to get in front of me and you're and that, that this is one of the phenomenons of like Howard Stern or even this podcast they're like in the privacy of your car people will listen to things that are private cuz you're in you're literally in your own space mm-hmm. and that's when you can listen to like a 30 minute thing about lesbian 69ing or whatever cuz you're in a private thing and that's where that like anger and that like get out of my lane it's so weird and then that same you know it's that thing i I see a a jerk i project onto a a large truck with the fake testicles on the back and calvin peeing on the brand that isn't the truck and i'm like look at this clanistic dualistic jerk macho aggro guy and i am going to hate him from my Mm. car without knowing anything same guy you know what I mean? I see him in a Seven Eleven. We both pull off, and I don't have my wallet, and he buys my coffee. Right. I love you, brother. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're so close to light and dark. We're right on the razor's edge, and it's this goes back to thanks for the pencil, which I'm strongly considering. I think we should make a thanks for the pencil <laughs> shirt. Is is that like it can be a little nudge one way or the other, and that sort of tuning in to. Even a misunderstanding, open to the idea that your idea of God or the divine or the universe could be wrong, Mm -hmm. but you're trying to slant yourself towards more compassion, towards more peace and more love. It's almost like whatever gets you there. You know what I mean? Well, I I, I agree with all of that. I'm also fascinated by the fact that, um, you know, think of how many books there are in this world, right? Um, No one has read them all. (laughs) <laughs> Think of all the books that have yet to be written. No one could have read any of those. They have yet to be written. How many movies have been made? How many uh, you know documentaries have been made? No one has taken in all of the information that exists in this world, yet everyone has a belief system. Mm. And everyone is basing a belief system on incomplete information because mm. nobody has taken in everything there is to take in. Mm. So... To, to be so adamant that you're right when the very next book on the bookshelf might change your mind yes. is very arrogant. Right, yeah. You know, uh, it's like, it's okay to go, here's where I'm at right now. Here's right. what I believe right now. This is, I feel pretty strongly about this, that, and the other, but I still love that feeling of wonder. And that's the wonder. Yeah, that's it. You just perfectly illustrated wonder, going like, 
we're in this crazy place. Mm-hmm. And there are so many infectious, brilliant people who believe the exact opposite of right. what you believe. <laughs> and it's so – it's just invigorating to think of a place where we might listen without an agenda – have concerns for our enemies, quote unquote enemies, you know, mm-hmm. that's some good stuff. And when we die, what's your feeling? Do you think when it's just lights out or do you think maybe? I don't know. Yeah. To me, it's a uh, 50-50 flip of the coin. I don't feel I'm qualified to know. Yeah. You know, um, I, some, I, so there are times in my life when I'm believing one way. There are times in my life when I'm believing the other way. Um, I'll see some things that I think are so incredible that you go, how could there not be a greater power? And then there are other times where I'm like, you know, who knows? Maybe it is uh, this big freaky thing of chance that just happened. Um, Mm. You know, uh, so I don't know. Um, And I'll I'll find out when, you know. Isn't that crazy? You know, I'll find out out when I get there, I guess. I trip out on that all the time. I'm like, nobody knows. Everybody finds out. (laughs) <laughs> right. <It's> crazy. <laughs> crazy. There's nothing else like that. You will know. You don't want somebody won't. like as they're closing their eyes and you're in there wondering, you know, you're in the room wondering, well, is there or isn't there? And as he's closing his eyes, he goes, there's not. <laughs> and then he's dead. And you just drive home with a <sighs> sadness in your heart. Well, that, that's been something I've been thinking about. <laughs> See, looking at how hard Aristotle's yeah, laughing. And you're like, uh, kids, should we get some ice cream? You know, I mean, uh, how, how, do you, how do you follow that moment? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they talk about the brain activity after you're dead, uh, and it's a timeless space. That could feel – that's one of my latest trip-out kind of thoughts – you die, and presumably your brain is still active for like something like five minutes or something. Oh. Uh, but it's in a timeless, bodiless sensation. You're dead, sensationless place. So it kind of has nowhere to go. So it's just kind of inside of itself. And people hypothesize. I believe the Tibetan monks have a word for this. I don't. I don't remember it. But uh, it's a, a philosophy. And in that space, because it's timeless, every second could be a lifetime. And that's all fine and good. But then you start to consider. What if this reality is just me dead living out one of these <laughs> one of these seconds? Right. Well, that's some. I mean, all that you know, you could do all those weird like things. Like, yeah. What What is existence? You know, what is this? You yeah. know, it, 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 it's fun thinking it can, about it twisty trip, things yeah. like that. And then there's a time to put it aside because you're like, I got to pick what I'm going to order. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's everybody's waiting for me. You know, I will have the nachos. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Callback city. Uh, well, thank you for your thoughtful answer. The, the final question can be a quick one. It's just, do you, can you think of one of the times you've laughed really, really, really hard? As a kid, as a grown-up, recently, 20 years ago, it doesn't matter. I just love, and they, it doesn't have to be a good story. Like, I open the door and there's a clown. It's not like that. Just a memory of laughing to tears. Mm, gosh. Uh, da, 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 da. That's one of the, that's one of, I, I, I love to laugh. I laugh a lot. But one of the uh, weird things, I was going to say unfortunate things yeah. about being a comedian is understanding the math and the science of comedy. And sometimes you'll see something that's really, really good and really clever and really inventive. Yeah. And you're looking at the manufactured aspect of the joke. Sure. You know, well, I liked it because it did this, that, and the other. And then people that are with you who don't know about comedy, yeah. go, why don't you just laugh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, 
I had that weird experience because I haven't watched your specials in 10 years. Literally, I was like, I have to stop watching Brian Regan because I just, it just happened. I'll, I'll rip you off. So I was watching it and man, I was dying with laughter, but not as much as I would have 10 years ago. Because I was like observing, and, and that's, that's his interpretation. And here's an example: <laughs> he noticed something, he explained it, then he extrapolated. Okay, and then it, and then it's always the ones that are like simpler that really like make me laugh, like something really, really basic. And I'm just like dying because there <laughs> no, wasn't the time it. for me to. So you still killed me. But I know what you mean. It's like you start to see the code a little bit. You see the strings of the show, and it's it's still enjoyable. Yeah. But it's an enjoyable it's enjoyable in a different level, you right. know. So well, I that's what I'm. The way I'll push your memory is there has to be someone slipping in dog shit. There has to be well, your, you know, your wife dropping the baby and it bouncing back up. Or I, something. I will tell you this: I, I'm not wired the way you're supposed to be wired. You know, in the, in the sense that. They say human beings like to laugh at other people's pain. That's why they laugh at a a guy slipping on a banana peel. Yeah. Or, you know, because it's like, wow, look at somebody else just had that silly, awkward moment. Mm-hmm. I never that I never responded to that. That was that's a missing part of my comedy bone, if you will. You know, my comedy funny bone. I do not enjoy other people's pain. Mm. I don't laugh at that. Mm-hmm. I laugh. I, I like to laugh with, not laugh at. Mm-hmm. You know, I never like the look at the you know the idiot over there in the corner kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like when that when you bring that guy over and we all laugh collectively. Yeah. Um, so I'm getting a sunburn from your heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I say that, and then you watch me go out out front and just laugh at some little no, old lady that can't no, cross no. the street by herself. No, it's be- look at that old lady. <laughs> gonna get hit by a cab <laughs> there's the real regan <laughs> i'm just pointing and laughing uh, I, I, well i mean it's just it's just you know i, I don't know like the I, I remember reading about comedy and that that's supposed to be a big thing in comedy yeah, is mm-hmm. that people laugh at other people's pain because they don't have to experience it they can watch someone else experience it right and it's that's like why three I, stooges never liked it and, and okay. some of it yes yeah, some Punching of it no but not the, the not the pain you know yeah, yeah. anyway I, I picked a complicated subject. <laughs> Some of it. I mean, how long do you have? <laughs> well, that was a, I, that's a great answer, even better than, than a, a, a little anecdote or whatever. And thank you. I mean, you went the distance. Thank you for giving us the full two hours and uh, for the time. And watch the special. When is the special? Uh, Saturday, September 26th, 9 p.m. Eastern. On? Comedy Central. There we go. And uh, it, it's just, a. It's, again, I buttered your bread quite a bit, this interview, but I hope you don't mind. You're amazing. It's just a privilege to talk to somebody who's in their right suit. You know what I mean? They they filled it out. You said it during the interview. You're like, I like stand-up. The pure thing, it's a great thing. I don't care if it's a basket waiver or, you know, whatever. It's just nice to talk to somebody that just is doing what they want. I think that's inspiring. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And I've heard throughout the years that you have been incredibly kind to me with your words that's and true. comments. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it means a lot to me. And I very, very much appreciate it. And likewise, I think you're doing great stuff. And oh, uh, thanks, man. Yeah, very funny. And thank you for allowing <laughs> me on your podcast. Uh, thank you very much. Um, what's your email? <laughs> Gmail, huh? <laughs> Would you say keep it crispy? It's how we end the show. It's just a catchphrase. You say keep it crispy. Keep, keep, keep it. Keep, keep it. Cr-
Keep it crisp. Keep keep it. Come on, Rick. Keep it crisp. Keep come on, Rick. Keep it crispy. Oh, you too. Finally. God love you, Brian. Oh man, that was just phenomenal. Now leaving nerdist.com.